JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What in the hell do you think you are doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. All of the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'll be honest with you, that was a really good sports weekend, even though we're kind of hanging in the balance here regarding the Colts and what they're going to do. And and believe me, I, I know that you guys hit me up all the time on Twitter, and that is exceptionally okay. When it comes to Colts coaching certs, when it comes to, you know, what they're going to do in the draft, because that's just the way that it is, because you care about that. That's what we do. That's what I care about. And I never get tired of talking about it. So you can continuously send it if you like. Zero problem whatsoever. Now, we'll double back to that coming up in just a minute. Kind of wonder who the three or the five in finality, candidates are going to be for the Colts. Maybe I'll get your thoughts on that coming up in just a bit, too. I will, in fact, get your thoughts on that in just a bit. Zach Kiefer is going to be in the 5 o'clock hour. I'll get his thoughts on that as well. But the good out of the weekend is, I don't know if this is going to be long-term. I'll give you a great example. Purdue's long-term here. Purdue's long-term. That is, They're in the long game. And that's something that Matt Painter understands, too. I was talking to Tom Deanhart last week of Golden Black Illustrated about this very thing. I mean, you can have close wins on the road, one possession wins on the road, which in any conference is great in the Big Ten, fantastic. And you'll get that pat on the back, and you'll get a lot of clapping and a lot of happiness. But Boilermaker fans are looking ahead. Looking ahead past the regional rounds, and that just kind of comes with the territory. That's why I mentioned it's the long game when it comes to that. I'm not suggesting that's Matt Painter's philosophy or the players, not at all. But I know that that fan base, that is what they're in tune with. 
You can almost do anything that you want. You can roll, if you want, to a Big Ten regular season title. You can roll, if you want, into the Big Ten tournament. Win that. Maybe be the number one overall seed. Certainly be a one seed. And there are going to be a lot of Boilermaker fans that are still playing that same long game. Doesn't make, especially in my opinion, their close wins any less impressive. Like yesterday, we were talking about this with Matt Painter last week. I was talking about with Tom Deanhart last week as well. These road games that they've been playing and these one possession games where, and I called it clutchery, I think, on Twitter yesterday, the clutchery. Now, oftentimes it's Zach Eady. Most of the time it's going to be late, but you got some freshman guards that are doing some things. You come up with big plays, and they had to do that again yesterday. Yesterday had the vibe, and I hate saying that because I think I need to be about 25 years old. But yesterday had the vibe. Kind of felt like, didn't it, that Nebraska game a little bit that was on the road? It just seemed like. Maryland kept getting chances. Chance after chance after chance. And Purdue had to survive that. That was one possession. Maryland's up three. Corner three. Guy wanted to foul. But Purdue, in those circumstances, they step up. They step up and get it done. Or at least they have in the Big Ten, and that is great, and you take nothing away. But I know with the Boilermaker fans, again, as I mentioned, this is the long game. This is to, all right, then this is all great. But what is going to happen once you get into the tournament? Where are you taking us? That is going to be the question. And that is the answer the Boilermaker fans are going to be looking for. Now, I would suggest to go ahead and and soak up this type of season. Soak up the fun of this season. Feel good about the fact that your team is back at number one, that Houston yesterday loses to Temple. I loved watching TCU in Kansas. I love watching Kansas get their ass whipped. That was beautiful. Love it. And at home was even better. It's funny, in college basketball, and I guess really and any basketball whatsoever, you get that moment in time, right? That TCU team had lost to West Virginia. Now, again, the Big 12 will come at you pretty hard. All you got to do is look at, for example, look at Texas Tech, for example. I think they were like in the top five to start the season, right? Top five. I don't think they've won a Big 12 game yet. I'd have to look and see. I believe that to be the case. But if I were just to watch TCU once and I watched them play in Lawrence on Saturday, you go, that's like one of the best teams in the nation. Certainly in the top 20, they have been. But that was one hell of a fun form of basketball to watch. These guys are up and down the floor, throwing it around, sharing it, being physical, sidestepping the crowd noise, not caring about it, doing their own thing, getting through a player injury. Yeah, that one game, I would say, oh, that's one of the best teams in the nation. Maybe it is. But that is what makes college basketball incredibly fun. And for Purdue, as I mentioned, I would still soak up, if you're a Boilermaker fan, all that is going on. And believe me, it is absolutely clear 
what you're looking at. And what you're looking at is the big picture of this. The longer term picture of it, which is fine. But also don't forget about what is going on and enjoy that along the way because that is a fun team to watch on a night in and night out basis. They they find ways, they find ways not to crack open. Looks the exception of one time. They are back at number one. Now I use a little bit different here. If you want to double back a couple of weeks, remember what we were all saying? I was sitting right here, I believe. Sitting right here after the Northwestern game on a Monday, right? That Northwestern game on a Monday, remember how bad that was in the first half especially? And that was coming on the heels of the second half against Iowa, a game that you were up big in the first half. And then you had that Penn State game. IU was a team that was searching, searching for anything. They had injuries to deal with. They had key guys out. And that team looked to be circling the drain. We had Brian Evans on here. Brian Evans talked about the first five of each half and what he hasn't seen and what he expects to see. And then you saw a completely different look at the start of that Wisconsin game, and it was long-lasting. That look was, they got into it. They were getting up into it defensively. It was some inspiration, and whether or not it had something to do with a team meeting, had something to do with Trace Jackson Davis um, being the the vocal leader, both on and off the floor. What? Hey, just take it and roll with it. Doesn't matter. If it's you put on mismatched socks that day, roll with it. Because that's what you want to see. What you've seen over the last three games, that's exactly what IU fans want to see. Even without two key guys, and you got one back yesterday, they got four minutes to play in race Thompson. I think you just wanted to see. I think you're trying to bridge the gap because you had your your bigger guys, other than Trace and foul difficulties, fouling out. So your bigger guys, Geronimo's not a big guy, but you know what I mean? Geronimo foul difficulties. Renew foul difficulties. Maybe tried to bridge that gap in the first half or whatever. But it was good to see him roll back out there. It was good to see a guy that has been around there that long to get back onto the floor. But it was even better to see them able to, and I thought that that was a big game yesterday, a good, tough, grinded team that can beat you in a variety of ways. And a team at home yesterday afternoon in IU that had to prove a lot of things to those they play in front of, their fan base, and to themselves. Is this stuff sustainable, or is it because Tyler Wall didn't play? Or was it because Illinois seems to be a bit of a head case? Now, what was the reason behind that two-game winning streak after clearly they had gone through their roughest patch, hopefully for IU fans, of the season prior to that? I thought game number three of that run was incredibly important, and I thought yesterday was impressive. The other aspect of it is with Trace Jackson Davis. Trace Jackson Davis started out slow offensively. You guys watched that yesterday. A lot of misses on stuff with that left hand that he normally makes and makes in his sleep. A lot of misses. You know, it's funny, too. And I think that there's a little bit of truth to it. Maybe this is more me because I do have a little bit more focus on both Trace 
and Miles basketball-wise than I do a lot of the other dudes. We'll get to the Pacer conversation in just a second. But I always felt that both Trace and Miles, Miles Turner, the Pacers, were both in need of a great deal of early success. And that's when they can be at their best. You get early success, and you get that confidence level grown. And really, that's with anybody. That is with anybody. But it seems like it is more important or could, it looks to be more important to these guys than it might be your average. You get going. You get a feeling good. And you might be in line for one of your best games of the season. And as it started yesterday with Trace, it didn't look that way. Still going at it on the defensive end, but guys are scoring over him. Kind of the same thing with Miles, right? I mean, Miles is certainly a good defensive player, but guys are going to score over you. These guys are pretty good, too. Sometimes guys are going to score over you. Sometimes guys are going to get around you. But these guys, it's very important to keep that confidence level up. And I think that is part of the growth. And we'll talk to Jeff Rabjohns about that coming up in the bottom of the 4 o'clock hour. The growth, the maturity of Trace. There's a game like yesterday. A game like yesterday where if you just watched the beginning of that game, you would go, wait a minute, this dude scored 30 what? What? 30 plus, 15 plus rebounds. He did what? They got not they got down eight or nine. Climbed right back in. Just kind of let it roll off their shoulder. That was to me a different looking IU group. That was a more confident looking IU group. So I'm on with Tony Katz this morning, and he said, what do you think about this IU game right now? And, you know, where are they? And I said, if Mike Woodson could bottle a couple of things, the first would be something I already brought up, and that whatever the inspiration was going into that Wisconsin game that has been sustainable, man, it is tough to be. Like Purdue, I talk about their close wins, their one-possession wins. You know, that's something that has shown to be in the Big Ten sustainable. Yeah, I'm sure Matt would like to see them maybe get a little arm's length away, but hey, you take it, especially on the road, really anywhere. But the inspiration going into that Wisconsin game, whatever the coach or the coaching staff or the team leader said, bottle that up. Because you have three games now where that has been the case, two at home, one on the road. Difficult place to play in Champaign. Difficult team to play yesterday in Michigan State. Difficult trying to figure out who in the world you are and why have you looked that way the last two and a half games prior to Wisconsin. But bottle that up if you can. And hopefully they have. I think these three games, thats it's not like anything has just magically changed over this three-game span other than the way that they play. There is a lot more, and you saw it again yesterday when they got down. There's a lot more fight in this group right now. And I think you can give a lot of credit. I think Trey Galloway plays. Trey Galloway brings the fight. He brings the fight whenever he's on the floor. And by the way, yesterday, made the perimeter jumpers. But here's a big key. Big key yesterday, you saw... At first, there was no double team, and then, you know, Trace wasn't hitting. I think that was surprising to Tom Izzo and the Spartans. And then when Trace started getting going a little bit, you do kind of softly send those doubles. 
And when Tamar Bates was on the ball side entry pass with Trace Jackson Davis and he was feeding the post to Trace, you kind of saw a bit of a a soft a, a soft double. And what happens in that soft double is when Trace puts it back out there, Tamar Bates, for example, or any shooter, but yesterday in this case it was Tamar Bates, gets the opportunity to step into one. And he got that thing going early. He was feeling good, feeling confident. If you can bottle that, I'm not suggesting that is going to be the consistency of Tamar Bates. But man, is that so necessary for this group? That just opens up a myriad of options for a guy that is, even though he's going left, right? Defensively, if you're single covering, you know he's going left. It is just he gets up higher with that left hand. He does different stuff with that left hand. And let's not forget, you've been playing basketball forever. And you still get out there, and for whatever reason, (laughs) you know that Trace Jackson Davis is a lefty. It's just always weird. I always wish I was left-handed. Left, a left-handed athlete always brings a level of weirdness and awkwardness, which I always thought was an edge. I always thought it was an edge. In baseball, the left-handed swing, I don't know why that it is. How many right-handed swings in baseball look like, oh, what a sweet swing that is. You ever find yourself saying that? Like, I never do. It's like a stinking rusty gate. All right-handed swings look like a rusty gate. It looks like either a rusty <laughs> looks like a rusty gate or that it is just robotic. But, man, these left-handed cuts, Eddie Garrison, man, all oh, your body gets into it. It looks just like a sweet golf swing. Um, I can just, I'm doing it right now if you're watching on YouTube Live. I have always, and I never could bat well left-handed. I, I Listen, I can do it in the mirror, and I go, wow, you look really good doing that, man. Look at that. That fall through. It just looks better. Aesthetically more pleasing to the eye. I know when you think of some of the, like the best swings in Major League history, you always think of like Babe Ruth, you think of Ted Williams, you think of Ken Griffey Jr., all lefties. I don't know what it is. I'm telling you. It is just, it's a beautiful thing. And really, left-handed players in general, even in basketball, I always thought that in basketball, when when you get a left-handed player that, let's just say, triple threat on the perimeter, for whatever reason, we're all conditioned to go immediately to the right hand. You play the right hand. And at least for the first couple of times, even if you have been drilled in the scattering report, this guy's left-handed, this guy's left-handed. I mean, by now... The entire basketball universe collegially knows that Trace is left-handed. But you combine that with his athleticism and knowing and believing where he can get to on the floor to score. Now, he said yesterday that he doesn't think anybody can guard him. And I know a lot of people went, well, wait a minute. What are you saying? And, And can that stuff come back to haunt you? It absolutely can. But I would, I would challenge you to look at it this way. You have wanted Trace to play with this level of confidence, to be this confident, and it's got to be a full-time gig. So I'll say it's okay. It may come back to bite him. In the world of social media, everything comes back to bite you. Now, when this, this quote is up on Twitter, 
It's always going to come back to bite you. You want to know why? It's because whatever you say, we live by exact words in social media, especially on Twitter. And we also live by the translation of those on the other side of this thing that are reading it. To me, when I think about, hey, nobody can go, I'm I'm thinking this guy is in a place right now where IU fans want him. You've wanted him in that place for a long time. And you can't just be half-assed in that place. You need to be in there. You need to be in there and think when you're going on the floor that, sure, nobody can check you and you're going to get yours because that is going to be the best way your team's going to win. So I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. He'll get some blowback. He'll probably have a bad game, maybe a bad stretch in a game. He's going to be constantly reminded of that. But for to me, as I mentioned, a guy that thrives, much like Miles, with a high level of confidence, steering his boat, that's what you want. That's what you want. Yeah, I think that's what you're looking at right now. Yeah, I know social media. Social media easily, every single time, will make you a hypocrite. Every single person that's ever tweeted at some point in time has become a hypocrite. In this business, you just can't. Now, all you got to do over the weekend is look at Shannon Sharp. And that wasn't even a tweet. That was just something. I mean, you're in a Laker game. You make an ass out of yourself. And what you end up doing is you're hypocritical for a take that you had had because on these morning shows, you you're, uh, have a take on everything. And there is no way these guys care that much regarding absolutely everything they're talking about. There's no way. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Shannon Sharp or Skip Bayless. I don't care if it's Stephen A. or Chris Russo or you know whatever, Kornheiser and Wilbon. At some point doing that and being that person, you're going to step on it. I, it, you can't, you cannot be perfect in this world of social media. You're never going to be. But you have to, as best as possible, sidestep these these pitfalls. Right, social media is just ready, willing, and able to turn you into a hypocrite daily. So that's tough. But as far as the confidence goes, IU fans, you've been wanting this level of confidence. Sure as hell been wanting this consistent level of play. And you can't just be confident half the time. So I thought it was okay. I know a lot of people go, oh, I don't like to hear this. Yeah, and part of me understands because if this were a more consistent program over the years, you probably wouldn't care too much about it, right? But since... I think just like Purdue fans are waiting, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, waiting for the NCAA tournament to come, and that's when you're really going to get into it. That's when they're really going to prove it to you. But let's face it, you know, up until it is proven to you, you're going to think the worst. You know, that's something else we're conditioned to do now. You always got to think about the worst. And that's similar to IU fans. You're just kind of waiting to see, all right, so – this is what I've had an issue with this player or this team of the past. At some point, that's what they're going to be again until you're proven wrong. It's like the Colts. 
All right, this is going to be a good team win. When do you expect this to be a good team? When are they going to make consistently good decisions, strong decisions? What was I listening to yesterday? I forget what it was. Maybe it was the game. Talking about all these great decisions the Bengals have made. You remember the point in time when the Bengals, for decades, they were a laughing stock. Not just a bad team, but a laughing stock. And now... Now they're this idolized, hey, everybody else, you got to get a young offensive mind coach in here. Doesn't help either if you go out and get yourself a really high-level quarterback. That is still the biggest key. I don't care what San Francisco does. And by the way, I love what San Francisco does. Yeah, Don't let that sway everybody's opinion in the way that it should be. Quarterback, baby. Like, the Cowboys quarterback was just worse than the rookie six-round quarterback of the 49ers last night. That's what it was. He's worse. Niners have a good defense. Niners have a a top-shelf tight end, a top-shelf left tackle, top-shelf running back right now. I think we both agree. Top-shelf playmaking wide receiver and Debo Samuel. Not a lot of teams are ready or able to do that. Like, I wouldn't aspire. If I'm Chris Ballard right now, I wouldn't be saying, hey, you know, this has been my blueprint for the years. You see, knuckleheads, this works. Yeah. Well, you better cross your fingers and hope because you've tried with the Garoppolo effect. You've tried to draft in Trey Lance, that high-level quarterback. I mean, you're just kind of hanging on for dear life with the quarterback right now. Just soak it up. But I still wouldn't suggest that is the way that you build something. For those of us that believe you build it a different way, that doesn't make us wrong. Get into that cult stuff in just a second. So let's just say this week we find out that maybe there's a final five. What are we up to numbers-wise now? 16? Have you, are you not keeping track over there, I've Eddie I've lost Garrison? track now. I think uh, 16, last I thought it was so 14. Kafka has been in. The Winker has been in. Wink Martindale. I, I say in, and I know this stuff is done on Zoom, but bear with me. What number are we up to right now? If there were a final five, for example, who's the final five with this group? And we'll just Ooh. consider that Chris Ballard's not going to bring anybody again, anybody else in via Zoom. Who's the final five in this healthy group that have been interviewed by the Colts? I would say Dan Quinn would be in there. Oh, you're just saying that. You're just no. You're just loving up to the host right here. I am not. I think you'd be in there. I think Brian Callahan would be in there. That's because Olivia, the lovely Olivia, loves the Bengals, man. Come on. Come on, dude. <laughs> uh, I don't know how Shane Steichen's interview went. Maybe him. Um I would I would assume one of those two Giants guys would make their way in there too, and then Saturday. Oh, you Saturday in there? You, Think there's any way that Saturday's not going to be involved in a final five? Give I, me a final five, by the way, at JMV 1070. We'll do that coming up a little bit later on. Get your final five. I would agree with you on that. I don't think there's any way. Raheem Morris not in the mix in a final five. I anywhere? would put him in there. Yeah, I put him in there. I heard that one went really well. All right, I'll put that up on Twitter coming up in a minute, and we shall go at that, if you like. A little final five. Also, did you see the Tom Pelissero report over the weekend that Chris Ballard has been the guy who's been primarily the interviewer 
uh, during this first wave, and then Ursay's been out of it, and then during the second wave, it'll be Ursay in there with the quote open mind. The open mind, baby. The open mind. Hey, I can have a really open mind, but it's my team, so here's who it's going to be, right? That open mind. Don't dismiss that. Do not dismiss it. Did you hear, I, I, a friend of mine named Greg said, he was listening to ESPN radio earlier today, and somebody had on Zach Pascal. I was looking for what he had to say. I, I was told that on ESPN radio, Zach Pascal, and I think this is a show that's based out of Philly, that Zach Pascal talked about how there was no connection with his team at Indy when he was here. I wouldn't mind to play off of that. Again, I don't know if that I don't know if that's something we all have not already completely understood about this team, but coming from a former player and especially right now a former player as a part of a successful team, that would be a little bit interesting. All right, Pacers still going seven consecutive losses down the tubes right now. I'll get into that. I'm not I'm not at all as floored as a lot of you. They could have lost a handful of these games, even with Tyrese Halliburton, but make no mistake, with him being out, that changes the dynamic for everything, and you've seen it. Looks like he's back at practice today, a little bit of full court, non-contact stuff, sooner rather than later, because win-wise, this team needs him. Chicago in town coming up tomorrow night at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Jake Query coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Jeff Rabjohn's bottom of the four from Peags. And Zach Kiefer's in here in the 5 o'clock hour. What do we have to give away today? You got that over there? Some tick. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll tease it. We got something yeah. to give away today, and I'll tell you what that is coming up on the other side. And I promise this I promise you will love it. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, the stream, the app, HD radio. You got it as well at 239 1070. The final five, if you're going to go with a final five right now, since there have been uh, well above uh, the number 10 of these interviews to this point, who would be your final five as maybe we get closer and closer to a Colts head coaching decision? It's a Monday here on the show. Thank you for joining us. We're back with you next. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I am in the parking lot right now hammering a bacon, egg, and chi, hold the chi in preparation to go deep with four hits and put on a laser show to the likes of which you have never witnessed in your entire life. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Double barrel action across the board from me right now with... Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Trying to figure stuff out over there is what they're doing. Chiefs 27-20 over the Jaguars. That was on Saturday afternoon, early Saturday evening, too. You saw, and um, I, I listen, I expect that, I don't want to say no problems, but you would expect to see Patrick Mahomes be the category of Patrick Mahomes that you would expect to see. I would say that. You talk about a season coming to a disappointing end. It's still a hell of a lot better to be there than what we're talking about and what we get to watch around here. All of a sudden, after last night, 
I should say yesterday afternoon, but into last night, all of a sudden now you get a lot of anti-Josh Allen talk going. And the Bengals just go in there. The Bengals look like the Bengals look like they had a chip on the shoulder. I don't know. You can't tell that. Maybe I'm just making something up, but that's how it looked. There was not anything that the Bills were going to do in their own building yesterday that the Bengals were not going to be ready for, were not going to counter, and not were not going to overcome. And I, for one, I can't wait to get after that AFC title game redo. I know Jimmy's a big Chiefs fan. He loves Arrowhead Stadium. I hated it. I hated Arrowhead Stadium's guts. <laughs> It was one of the most miserable experiences ever. I know I need to go back. I guess I need to go back when there's not eight inches of snow on the ground and ice ball. I didn't even have Colts gear on. I just had in ice balls or coming from the upper deck. Literally, I turn around and this is in that divisional round game. I'm catching ice balls like in my gloves. I think I spent more time watching for those coming at my head than anything else. Now, again, I was around people that had Colts gear on. Just a miserable. The best part about it was Tucker Barnhart and Drew Storen helping me push a bus that was stuck in the middle of an exit on ice out of the way. That was pretty sweet. That's about it. But I can't wait for that rematch. That's going to be fantastic. And then you watch the Eagles... It's funny, you can be the best in the NFL and this time of year with the myriad of storylines, both individual and team-wise, you can a little bit get lost in the shuffle. These guys just rolling roughshod over the Giants. I don't know if Shane Steichen's a genius. I don't know if it's all on Nick Sirianni. It seemed like Nick Sirianni here... Um was kind of like how you would view Shane Steichen there. So I would tend not to completely go all in on, well, you know, he's not calling the plays. He's obviously doing something right. I will tell you this, he has a good quarterback. That's not bad. That's a good place to start. It's a good quarterback. As I mentioned, too, Chris Ballard may talk about, you know, wanting the philosophy of it can't be about one guy. And that's great, but we all know that you have to have one guy. And I'm sorry, the Niners are the exception to the rule. And you'll take it if you're San Francisco. You'll take it if you're John Lynch or Kyle Shanahan. But I would guess they would rather have a humming at the quarterback position offense and doing in the Cowboys yesterday than one that is surviving and certainly probably surviving a lot more on the playmaking ability of their defense. And then don't forget that, again, at tight end and at left tackle, the key components offensively, the Niners are covered and covered with, if not the best, elite level, the best. Are you talking about Kittle or whomever? Williams. I mentioned Samuels. They had no doubt their defense is tough, but... And that game yesterday still came down to what the quarterback didn't do in terms of Dak Prescott. 
But I would still roll in terms of what we're looking at and what the Colts need coming up, sitting at the fourth spot in the draft and where they're going to go. I would still tend to go out and find yourself, draft yourself a quarterback that you believe in for the future. Even if it is about one guy, the first thing you need to do is find that one guy. Because everybody else has. And listen, the Niners look for that one guy. And they feel they found that one guy. But then that one guy got hurt. And then they relied on the other guy that they brought in. And then that other guy got hurt. And now they're relying on a guy that nobody felt was going to be in this position. And it's good to have a well-rounded team. The most well-rounded team. Still alive right now. I think we can argue that just by... The results. But you still want that one dude. Yeah, Joe Burrow, you still want that. Patrick Mahomes, you still want that. Jalen Hurts, you still want that. That is just where you are in the realm of football right now. Kay Adams writes this, JMV, the Colts have to get the quarterback and coach right because the AFC is loaded. I will say this, Kay Adams. I am, I'm not trying to give anybody a pass. This is not how this is meant to be heard. But I am much more concerned about that quarterback position, who they draft, who is going to be tabbed on that long-term future. I am much more concerned about that than I am their head coach. Much more. And I'm not trying to consider these guys being a dime a dozen. But when you look at this list, whether you have whittled this down to five or not, there are a lot of the same looking dude resumes on there. So again, not a dime a dozen, not a backhanded compliment, but I am more concerned about what they do with that position at quarterback. And then ultimately with this team personnel wise, because you built it in the fashion of one way and that hasn't worked. Is it important? Absolutely. Head coach is important. I'm much more worried about what they do coming up in April and who they hard target as their quarterback of the future. That is going to set the tone regardless of the years of NFL around here for the long-term foreseeable future. Bill writes this, Purdue will thrive until they get bounced in the Sweet 16. That's what I mentioned. I know Boilermaker fans feel that way. I would just advise to go ahead and still soak up what has been to this point a fantastic season. Don't lose sight of that. But I know what you're looking for. I know what you're looking to. I know it's difficult not to lose. Okay, this is great right now in January, but what happens in March? It's where you are right now. Where you are. JMV, not having traditional cable. Is Big Ten Network not a thing anymore? I've been enjoying watching IU on local stations again. I don't. Where are you watching IU on local stations? Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about, like, for example, on CBS 4. When's the last time IU was on the Big Ten Network? It's been a while, right? Was it prior to the. Elon? 
Yeah, probably Elon or who else they Kennesaw play there. State. Kennesaw State. So they haven't been on the Big Ten Network, I don't think, in a while. Iowa wasn't. Was Penn State on the Big Ten Network? I don't remember that game. It was on a Wednesday night. I thought Penn State was on the Big Ten Network. And uh, I can't remember. Northwestern, I think, was on Fox Sports 1. I think. But, yeah, I think uh, Penn State might have been on Big Ten Network. I don't know. I'm assuming it's just because they've been playing games. And they played on CBS 4 yesterday, Sean. I, I don't have a good answer for your question right there. But CBS, CBS was yesterday. I, I like Spiro Ditas, by the way, too, doing play-by-play. Uh, Penn State was on Big Ten Network. Yeah, I like Spiro. I like Jim Spinarco. I always have liked Jim Spinarco. I know a lot of people say, oh, he's milk toast. He's too dry. He, he's been there. He kind of swoops in during the heart and the end of a season and then goes into the NCAA tournament first couple of rounds. It's just kind of a rite of passage for me. I like Jim Spinarkle. I always have. I know a lot of you are young, have no idea who Jim Spinarkle might be. But I like him a great deal. The Illinois game on the Big Ten Network. So I don't know what this dude is watching. Illinois game was on a Wednesday night, right, on the Big Ten Network? No, Illinois was Fox Sports 1. All right. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I have zero answers to your question, Sean. My bad. <laughs> All I can give you is this vague opinion of you got lucky a couple of different times and IU was IU was on uh, CBS. The Wisconsin game, and I absolutely love I love Jay Wright and Bill Raftery together. I think that sounds great. I know a lot of people don't like Bill Raftery. think he's too old. Doesn't tell you enough. I just love the fact I, I don't need to sit there and get hit over the head with all this inside the huddle crap. That's great if you like it. And you can always add some stuff, but that's just not what I need. But I do like Jay Wright. Good combination of Jay Wright and Bill Raftery. Hey, JMV, how about the UND Greyhounds men's basketball team? 10 consecutive wins, 16-2 and two overall, and Paul Casaro's group on a roll. Eddie Garrison across from me is a proud grad of UND, so he is all about that. And to Damon, you're right, my friend from Eastern Green, Dusty May. My friend Dusty May from Eastern Green. Won two more this past week. Florida Atlantic, the Owls are 19-1. and one. Where are they locked in right now in the top 25? At least as of today, where Purdue, by the way, went back to number one. Florida Atlantic presently 21st in the nation. And as of last week, it was the first time that Florida Atlantic in basketball had ever been ranked. And if you don't know who Dusty May is, Dusty May, Eastern Green. Dusty May was a manager at IU for a number of years, and he was an assistant on Mike Davis's bench. I think he was an assistant at UAB. I know he was an assistant for somebody. I don't know if it was Mick Cronin. Down at Murray State, he was an assistant at Eastern Michigan. With Mike White at Louisiana Tech, with Mike, Mike White again at Florida and is doing a fantastic job with Florida Atlantic. 
I got to get him on sometime to give him some love. A little GC love is always necessary right here. Jake Query, top of the hour. Jeff Rabjohn, Zach Kiefer, all still to come on a Monday with your calls. If you want to jump in here at 239-1070. Plus, I got something to give away. Something you are absolutely going to love. I'll tell you all about that and more coming up next. The Ride with JMV. Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. (laughs) It'd be a lot cooler if you did. (laughs) 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jay Query, top of the hour. Zach Kiefer is going to be in here. Five o'clock hour? Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com. Are you fans excited about the last three? Yeah. Roll with it a little bit here, too. T. Ham says Hoosiers played well defensively. Slowed down offensively. Uh, the makes help, and especially with Tamar Bates, that was a huge help. I'm not at all suggesting that's going to be commonplace. It'd be great if it is, because that's exactly what they need. But that was huge yesterday. Of all the work that was done, those moments, and then and then you get that soft double team that's going down, kind of caught in no man's land, gets... Uh, Bates knocking down shots, feeling comfortable and shooting those shots, believing they're going to go in. And then then all of a sudden you go back to the whole single work on Trace and he got that left hand working in the latter portion of the game. I think you can tell, too, back-wise, he looks like he's feeling better. And I don't mind at all after the game. That whole comment of, I don't believe anybody can guard me. Is that something he's probably going to have to answer for when he has a bad stretch? I mean, in, in this era, in this era, all you have to do is have a bad stretch. Like the start of the game offensively for Trace would qualify, but he was still in it and he stayed in it. And he still played incredibly well. But IU fans have been wanting the level of play. And with Trace, as I mentioned, I compare it to Miles. These guys feed off of confidence. They get better. Everybody does. But it just seems like these guys more than anybody else. And you can't be half in and half out the door of confidence. Just, you know, if he has to own it, then he's going to have to own it. If somebody... For example, on February the 4th, if there's a struggle against Purdue, then he's going to have to wear that probably. But he's going to have to wear it anyway. Saying that in that environment is much better than saying or having players go back and forth in social media with fans or knuckleheads or whatever. But if you want this team to be the best it can be, you want him to. You want him feeling like nobody can guard him. Because the level of confidence with him is very powerful. It's a big deal. Yeah, Boilermaker fans, I know. I know you're waiting. I know you're waiting until till March. Just don't ignore what's going on now. One game possession wins are difficult. I mean, that can be a tightrope right there, especially on the road. Roll with it. 
Andrew says, is Mitch Kramer in the top five of all-time annoying movie characters? That whole thing with his nose, when he kept going to his nose, standing out in front of the Emporium, where they played pool and pinball and drank sixers? Yeah. That was a little, but I will say this. His sister was smoke. Jody. Jody was smoke. Jody was my favorite. Of those being smokedified, she was at the top of the smokedified list and dazed and confused. I would ask you, Eddie Garrison, if you've ever seen it. I just don't want the disappointment of learning that you haven't. Quick break. Rap John's bottom of the four. Zach Kiefer here for the Athletic in the five. The latest on the Coltsy or Colts head coaching search. And who might be the final five, the final three, once this list, this mammoth scroll is pared down? Who should be on it? I'm going to put that out there as a Connecticut water question of the week as well because that's what I do. Zach Kiefer, 5 o'clock hour. Morning show co-host Jake Query's next. The Ride with JMV. Hey, you going to stare all day or are you going to buy something? Uh, I'm going to stare all day. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. And Jeff Rebjohn's bottom of the hour. Trace Jackson Davis, Big Ten Player of the Week. The Week? Am I going through puberty? Zach Kiefer, The Athletic, in the 5 o'clock hour. So, if you were going to trim down... <laughs> The list of the mammoth list, the scroll, the logbook full of coaching interviews for the Colts. If we were going to trim that thing down to five, maybe even three, who would it be? Who are you going with? So Daniel writes this, who should be the next coach of the Colts and why should it not be D'Amico Ryan? Now, he's still in it, and I think he – did he postpone or cancel? Was that cancel because he's still in it or cancel because he's not with it? Not sure. Jay Glazer didn't really say. All he no said was that, specification, uh, according to Eddie Garrison. Yeah, all he said was that D'Amico Ryan canceled his interview. It could have been because That sounds like, a, you know what, I'm canceling this. This sucks. Maybe. I mean, he his last interview was with the Texans. <laughs> Also, it could have been in the fact he was like, hey, I've got a game I need to focus on, too. Sean Payton's interviewing with everybody that has a job opening but the Colts. But we all know how that's going to go down. Yeah, they're not ready. They're not positioned to have to trade and then trade a first-round pick to get Sean Payton in here. And relive those Eastern Illinois and Indiana State, that era, for a minute, for a cup of coffee. But no, if you were having to pare that thing down to five, to three, who would it be? By the way, Daniel, you asked me who I liked. Yeah, Dan Quinn, I'm in the old crusty stage of live here. And if if that is true, what Zach Pascal said about this whole locker room being in disconnect, I don't know if you bring in one of these wonder kids in here and, hey, here we go, analytics. Give me somebody old and crusty and has been there and done that that has a firm grasp. Dan Quinn's not only that, but he also looks the part. Back to that in a second. So, yeah, go ahead. At JMV 107, your list of five, your list of three, do it however you want to. 
Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. The morning show is called Kevin and Query. Weekday mornings right here on The Fan from 7 until 10 a.m. And they also have a YouTube live. We call it The Lounge right here. They do their own thing there as well. The stream, the app, HD Radio, and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And the morning show co-host, he's our friend Jake Query, who evidently saw the film The Whale over the weekend. With Brendan Fraser, who up until that point had been more noted for being an Encino man. And he was the caveman, right? An Encino man. That is correct. He was an Encino man. And yes. Uh, the movie The Whale, I realize Brendan Fraser has had apparently some polarization within Hollywood recently. Um, but if he doesn't get nominated for that movie, I'll be stunned. He, he should probably win. The Academy Award for it. I thought the movie was, uh, it's not exactly uplifting, although I found it uplifting, but I don't think it, that's that. Why did you find this like, film uplift? What is, what is The Whale about? Because they had a so great whale, song of the 90s called Hobo Humpin' Slobo, Babe, that I loved a great deal. But this is not about so, that. So Brendan, Brendan Fraser plays a morbidly obese man who has become a recluse because of his obesity and his own internal shame and disgust about that leads him to fractured relationships with most notably his estranged daughter and his ex-wife. And it's about his internal struggle to mend not only with those people, but also with himself. That's the best way to describe it. And um, I just thought it was brilliantly written. I thought the symbolism of it was fantastic. And I think his performance, while I'm relatively unfamiliar with him as an actor, strange as that sounds, um, I know this was a little bit out of character for him, but it was, he was brilliant in it. And I'm not like some film critic. Like, you know, I, like I say to people, yeah, I went to the movies, but it, it was really, really well, really well done. So really uh, it, was, it was much different than Encino Man when he was looking for fresh cave nugs. Yes, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad the man over the decades has not been typecast. That's excellent. It was. It was. It was less the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures genre. Of <laughs> Did I ever tell you the story with Paulie Shore? It, literally, I was doing a show. This is probably eight eight <laughs> years ago. Eight years ago at um, Twin Peaks, and he's a tremendous fan of Twin Peaks for all the reasons you would understand. And I go in and do my show, and I didn't even know he was there. He apparently was sitting at the bar up in Castleton. And he came over during a break, and he goes, hey, um, you want me to come on with you? And I said, yeah, sure. And he sat down. <laughs> we started talking, and, he, and I, I brought up Encino Man. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, we could talk about something else. I'm kind of tired of that. And I, I thought for a moment. I'm thinking, well, what the hell else are we going to talk about here then? Wait a minute. <laughs> What else are we doing? I think I've I've told you this, but my buddy Mike Byron, like 15 years ago, was in like Dubuque, Iowa for a work cop. And he was staying at some small casino and he gets on an elevator and Paulie Shore gets on in the hotel. Yep. And he, you know, Paulie Shore was doing a stand up bit at like, you know, the, 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 the aces of Dubuque or whatever. And, and Byron said like his, his, Byron's, you know, face like, oh my gosh, it's Paulie Shore. So Paulie Shore could tell that Byron recognized him, and he got on the elevator, looked right at Byron, and goes, 
It pays the bills, brother. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was fun. He's a fun guy. He is a fun guy. And he did talk about his relationship with the late Sam Kinison, which I thought was pretty cool, at least for me, you know, living through well, that era his, of Sam Kinison. His so. mother, of course, owned the comedy store, right? Right. right. So kind of grew up around all those guys and gals. No doubt. Hey, I want to ask you this. I know you guys talked about it this morning. IU and their three-game win streak. I thought yesterday was really important because, you know, a two-gamer, you're thinking, well, maybe this is a blip on the radar. Maybe it still is. But I thought yesterday against Tom Izzo and Michigan State, even at home, that was kind of a justifying of this team. And now they could really see through three games, you know, the work and that change that they made after that Penn State game, whatever it was, that is working for them. And then after the game, people kind of pointed to me, you know, Trace, who is playing well, the Big Ten Player of the Week, high-level basketballer right now, no doubt. They didn't like the fact that he said that he didn't feel anybody could guard him. And I want to remind folks of this is the type of play that you want, that you expect, and you want him with that level of confidence. He thrives much like Miles Turner does on being completely confident in the game of basketball. I mean, you can't be half-ass in and half-ass out on this. All right, let it go. He'll have to own it if he doesn't play well in the game upcoming because somebody will remind him of that. Many will. But this, to me, is something from Trace on the floor and off that you want. Would you agree? I, I, I do agree. And I think one of the things, if there was something that you could critique about him, you know, at times I've heard people say, you know, he's, he's a really good player, but, you know, he's just he's almost too nice a guy. You know, maybe you need a little of that nastiness in him. And – Quite frankly, so far, and that's not to say that this isn't going to uphold for the entire season, but so far in terms of one-on-one coverage, he's right. I mean, when, when he has not been doubled, he has played at an extremely high level, and Ben, his footwork around the basket has been really good, and he's been able to score you know, around the basket itself. Now, the thing that has made the difference for Indiana, and I give a lot of credit to Indiana, to that roster, to Mike Woodson for, for riding the ship here because, you know, I was wrong. I mean, I, I had said that I felt like they were teetering towards backing their way out of the NCAA tournament or at least onto the bubble, and they've pushed themselves back away from that, which is obviously good. But the way they've done it is not only Trace Jackson Davis playing at a high level, but always finding in those games – somebody else to be a complimentary piece to him. Jordan Geronimo stepped up there initially. And then, you know, obviously we saw yesterday with, with Kaufman and then also Tamar Bates able to score on the wings. And that's what he needs. I mean, he is a great player, but even great players need somebody else that can take just a little bit away from them so that he can't be doubled. And, and when that happens, he is unstoppable right now. I mean, you know, he is in his own. There's no doubt about it. Well, that sustain, you know, that remains to be seen. One of the things to me, that I think we mentioned this morning that, that I think is interesting is if Trace Jackson Davis has hit his ceiling in terms of what his pro potential is seen to be in terms of where he would slot. In other words, if he is seen as a late first, but more likely early second round draft pick, which I think he is. And if scouts have determined that at this point he is what he is. And therefore, even if he were to stay another year, he would not elevate himself past that spot. Then between NIL and his Adidas money, I, he may be able to make as much, if not more, money next year than he would as a second-round NBA player. So he may – I know it sounds crazy because he has said 
that that he is looking at this as his last year, but I don't rule out the possibility he could be back next year because that's the world we live in now. Well, that's a game changer. There's no doubt that money, NIL money is a game changer. However long that that's able to last, Jake, it's a game changer. Well, I mean, that's, and that's the other thing, right? Is, you know, Indiana's done a great job. They were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of coming together with, you know, the different, collections that they can do for NIL, but I mean, are you going to be able to really come up with that every single year? I, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, you're looking at guys, what did I read somewhere? Or I was told that, you know, every Indiana player gets minimum 43,000 in NIL money. And then above that individually, they get more than that. And, you know, Trace Jackson Davis may be, I mean, into the seven figures. Yeah, Buffalo is so. going to have to sell a lot of wings. <laughs> Crosstown Barbershop <laughs> showing a lot of flat tops. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if they're in on it, but man, I love me some Buffaloes. Shout out to Buffaloes in Bloomington. So, 17th Street, man. I lived in Jackson Heights right across the street from it back in the day. I, they might have moved locations. Yeah, actually, I think but. they, Buffaloes is down in the old, uh, it's on Indiana down there next to where Spaceport used to be in Garcia's, I think now, isn't it? That might be right. Yeah. That may be right been a while since i've been down in in old jackson heights last time i went through it i thought man i lived here unbelievable but good times though who, who sure. would have, who would have been who would have supplied your nil money or you know just kind of life overhead supplies well if you would have been an nil you, athlete back in the day this is what's hilarious first off had i been an nil athlete well, that's a good question because i'm trying to think of like what i would have proudly endorsed in bloomington itself but I will tell you that when I lived down there and was friends with a couple of guys that played basketball, you know, I mean, other people in the industry will say, I was just a little jock snipper. But um, <laughs> is that how they would but, say it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I lived next door. Yeah. A couple of my butt, my neighbors played basketball at IU and their training table. If you can believe this under Bob Knight, the the training table or the 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 athletic meal plan they got was a was a weekly balance at Steak and Shake. And they would call all the time and be like, I'm on my way back to practice. You want anything? Yeah, I'll take two burgers and fries. All right, great. That was their that was their <laughs> their athletic meal was Steak and Shake. We ate there all the time. So I would have had a Steak and Shake NIL deal for certain. That probably would have been it because I live on – and, I mean, who wouldn't want to live yeah. on Steak and Shake in college? It was the best. I might have had a Sixth Avenue dancers one in Terre. I was trying to think of the Terre Haute stuff. <laughs> night moves. Yeah. Hey, listen, you out of Bedford, Indiana, Tonda Best Hideaway. So everybody would have been a part of that. So yeah. it's uh, it's funny, it's funny slash really strange to look at that world. For example, back in the '90s, in which we lived, compared to the one college athletically speaking we're a part of in cover right now it's night and day no pun intended the other day john i was thinking about this the other day if if the nil the name image likeness endorsement money had always been in existence what indiana and what purdue player would have capitalized and made the most money who would have had the highest number damon bailey damon bailey I mean, Damon Bailey probably still gets some sort of love now. Matt, can you imagine the money that Damon Bailey would have rolled in? I think Damon Bailey would be it for Indiana. I know people want to mention, you know, like Cheney and all. Damon Bailey, though, there is no player in the history of college basketball in this state that had more pre-freshman hype 
and fanfare than Damon Bailey. And that includes Rick Mouth, who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in high school. But I think Damon Bailey, I don't think people who were not around then understand or realize how incredibly, like, I mean, he was ubiquitous Damon Bailey was amongst the Indiana culture for three years before he even entered Indiana University. I think that would have been number one. Purdue probably Mount, or I would say, you know, Glenn Robinson would be probably in that same group because the number of 13 jerseys and things you could have sold and big dog T-shirts and everything else, Glenn Robinson would have done all right as well. Yeah, I was I, I would, was thinking, you know, obviously Mount was the one that you brought up, but I would I thought, like Troy Lewis, I, I think sometimes yeah, he, he is player. left a, a little bit forgotten off of this, but... I mean, he was so so huge well, to what they did, and both he and, and Todd Mitchell great. and Everett Stevens back then. So you know, Troy Lewis is funny because I, I've mentioned this to you before. I think, I, I mean, I grew up a diehard IU fan. That was my team growing up, and Troy Lewis was the one. And I I did not like Purdue at all growing up. I mean, I, I quite frankly despised Purdue when I was a kid. And Troy Lewis was the one Purdue player that I couldn't help but like. I mean, I always liked him. I, I thought he was – I really wish he'd have gone to Indiana at the time. But I just thought he was fun to watch. He seemed like a really good guy. And he was just a really solid player for four years. He was everything you'd want, right? Everything you'd want out of a guy. I really liked him when he was there. Never met the guy. Never met him. But uh, always was kind of a fan of Troy Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that, that whole group was, was fun to watch. It, I mean, it was fun to watch. And speaking of Purdue, Jake Query joined us, by the way, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You find it interesting as well as, you know, Purdue with one possession wins. They've done it on the road in the Big Ten. And as of yesterday, they did it at Mackey Arena, which is impressive. I called it clutchery, uh, which certainly is a, a good term uh, for being able to withstand and close out games, especially those that are tight like that. Have you noticed as well that Purdue fans, there's really that, I mean, you you could be number one. You could be the number one overall seed in the tournament. You could be, at the very least, a one seed in the tournament. But man, everybody's just going to give it a quick golf clap and then look forward to what takes place in the Sweet 16. You noticed that too? Yeah, and, and look, the thing about Purdue, Purdue is, I think, John, kind of similar to Indiana in the fact that Zach Eady is an unbelievable player. And it's having an unbelievable year. But he also, what makes Purdue run is not only what you're getting out of Edie. And Matt Painter said yesterday after the game, I mean, look, the guy had an average game and it was 24 and 16. But it's it's the complimentary play coming off of him. So long as they have somebody else. And at times it's been, you know, Lawyer. At times it's been Smith. I mean, there are other guys at times, maybe Gillis, that knock down shots to free him up a little bit. But they are in – you know, congratulations and kudos to Purdue for, again, being number one in the country. And I think it, 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 as long as they're able to stay where they are, I mean, it absolutely would appear that they're going to be in line for that one seed. And yet there is still that cloud that hangs over them, I think, a little bit because of, you know, last year there was so much hype going into the tournament. And obviously the year where they got beat down in Louisville, you know, by Virginia and, and almost, I hate to say a fluke, but, you know, so close to the Final Four. And there just has been kind of this weight about Purdue on their shoulders and on their chest and with their fan base in particular, almost like allowing themselves to just assume that things are going to be disappointing for them in March. Maybe this is the year they break through. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it for them. I'd love to see it for Matt Painter and Elliot Bloom and all the guys up there. 
that work hard on that program. But they're really good, John, and they're balanced, and they just have a match. The thing about Purdue late in games, we saw it again yesterday, and I know they had a big lead and Maryland fought their way back in, but they just look well coached, man. I mean, when the game's on the line, they, they look like they have plays drawn up that they know exactly what to do and where to be, and they seem to know what the other team's going to do. And, you know, it's, it's worked out for them now. I hope eventually what that water doesn't find its level, but I think it's safe to say now that they are indeed worthy of where they're ranked. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, it is a year because it's not like there are other teams that are ready to step up in greatness. It's kind of like the Big Ten right now. It's why IU, I mean, IU, even with that lapse, you go back to Iowa, Northwestern, and then and then Penn State. I mean, you're, you're firmly right into this, certainly behind Purdue, but right in it because everything else is just kind of mixing together on the same level, Jake. Yeah, I mean – you know, I would love to see – I was thinking about this the other day, John. Was there anything more fun – and I know that you and I and probably people that listen to the two of us sit here and rap sports on the radio. Maybe they get tired of us talking the, the – you know, we should fire up Springsteen's glory days sometimes, I guess. But it was so much fun back when there was always the possibility of four or five teams from the state of Indiana getting in the tournament, you know, and like – and, you know, back in those days, it was usually Indiana that was the one that was the higher seed, and Purdue would be like a two or three seed. But then you also had Ball State and Indiana State and even Evansville getting in the mix. And, you know, Butler was one that you didn't think about so much. But, I, I mean, I, we're going to get, I think, two in with Purdue and Indiana. But is Indiana State – let me ask you this. Is Indiana State going to get in? I believe we have a circling of the drain going on right now. <laughs> we, we, ha- we have. Yeah, they got up to such a good start in the Moval, and then you know, kind of petered out here. And and then you know, Butler's a whole different talk show, right? I just I worry about Butler in the Big East. I do. I, I just don't know how they get the how they get things back to where it was. I just I, I, I just, thought that they were going to have a rough year with Thad back. I just didn't think they were going to be so mammothly uncompetitive. I know. So. I mean, I. And I, you know, I know that they aren't 100 percent healthy, and it's a, you know, Thad's in his first year back, and you know, maybe that takes a couple of years to get a stamp. And I hope he can get it in the right direction, but it just seems like such a different style of, of play. And and I just, I, I keep saying this, I've been saying it for the last week. I really think the Atlantic 10 was the perfect conference for Butler, based on school size, you know, athletic budgets, etc. I just thought the Atlantic 10 was where they should have stayed. They didn't ask me, though, so not that they would have listened. Hey, you mentioned Indiana State, and after that great, great start, and they've lost four in a row, and now you have, within the Mo Valley, Belmont's in there. Belmont, I think, is at 8-2 and two right now. Southern Illinois is at 8-2. and two. That's, I think, the team that started this losing streak for Indiana State, kind of a blown lead late in the game at home a couple of weeks ago, and you know they're up there. Northern Iowa seven and three now that I'm looking at it, so they've got a lot of teams now to climb over. It looks so good, it looks so good into early January, but they certainly have hit a rough patch here in the middle of the month. Uh, and, and you know, I didn't know much about their coach when he was hired, but I, you know, his record itself was pretty darn good, and they got out to a good start, and I was optimistic. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens in the long run. But I was I was kind of hoping they get in this year. I was there. Matter of fact, when the year that um, 
when Thad Mata was at Butler for one year and took him into the NCAA tournament and they blew out Wake Forest and got beat by Arizona at Kemper Arena in Kansas City, I remember covering those games. I was working in St. Louis and I covered it for Fox Midwest. And I'm getting ready to interview Mata either before or after one of the games in Kansas City. And he, like, stops and he's like, dude, did you hear? Like, Indiana State beat Oklahoma. And I don't remember if it was the same day, the same weekend, but that, didn't that who they beat? In the yeah, they beat, yeah, they beat Kelvin Sampson. At Oklahoma, then, yeah, in the so first Kelvin round. Samson got Kelvin Sampson got hired at Indiana, having been beaten in the NCAA tournament by Mike Davis and Indiana State at different points. That's cool. Yeah, Kelvin Sam beat Kelvin Sampson in Oklahoma. Back is the game that you're talking about. All right, hey, go ahead and pare this thing down. Three coaches, you think they're going to be the three standing when it comes down to it as the ultimate choice as the Colts' next head coach. Well, let's preface with this, John. As I understand it, assuming that their transparency is legit, you know, Chris Ballard had said he is going to submit his nominations to Jim Irsay, and then Irsay will make a decision. So, based on that, if Irsay is making a decision, I do believe that Jeff Saturday will be considered. Yes. Um, of, of the list of the, the reality show of American Idol that is the Colts coaching search, which now consists of 74 people. Um, I believe that the finalist would or should be. Uh, I will go with Raheem Morris, Brian Callahan, and your guy. Dan Quinn. Quinn as well, yes. Uh, that, that would be my list. I, Raheem Morris is who I would love to see them hire. Um, but I got no pro- you know, I agree with you that I think it should be somebody who has some experience as an NFL head coach. I, I do think that. I definitely think that's what they need right now. It's Jake Query with us. He saw The Whale. That's the Brendan Fraser film that's probably going to get Brendan Fraser, the actor, an Academy Award nomination. I guess that would be fitting in the way that you put it. And Brendan Fraser, you knew this, right? He was born here in Indy. I... I- you know, if if I'd heard that, I had forgotten it. So when I looked him up after I saw the movie and saw that he was born in India, I'm like, what? And then I saw that he came back apparently like eight years ago. He was in the area. I guess they moved from here when he was like an infant. Yeah. But he, he was in the area and was like, I want to go see the place where I was born and whatever else. And he, he came back to Indy for like a day. Well, okay, that's cool. You know, but he, I'm telling you, um, he was great. He was great in the movie. And there are a few movies that you see that never change the scene. In other words, the entire movie takes place in the same room. It never changes scenes. I mean, it changes days, but the location is the same for all two hours. And that's rare. And I, it, it probably cost him like 38 bucks to make that movie. It's, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, that was like uh, that was like Encino Man, yeah, definitely. Um, school School Ties. Have you seen School Ties recently from '92? No, I know he was in that too. Man, Matt Damon. You, Matt Damon plays that. a complete turd in that. It's great. <laughs> I think I saw it when it was out. All those All those dudes are in it. All those dudes from that have turned into something. All those young actors, like Affleck's in that, and. 
what's his name? Uh, Anthony, whatever his name. O'Donnell's in that, too. There's a, a ton of those young actors in School I've Ties. I've always got School, and I know that they're probably not even the same, but for whatever reason, in my mind, School Ties and Dead Poet Society, I always got <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, School Ties, 1992, is with that. All right, what you guys got coming up tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow, actually, you know, Mark Dykton, we used to do a thing where we asked people on the Kevin and Clary Twitter page to send in the headline of a Colts game in five words or less. He did a fun thing of send us your summary of the Colts coaching search in five words or less. So we'll read some of those because they're pretty funny. People are funny. We'll read some of those, and then we'll talk um, talk some Pacers and, and just continue to update on the Colts coaching search as well tomorrow. So, I think Sal Palantonio is going to join us. I don't know about tomorrow. I think he had a conflict, so probably Wednesday as well. So we'll have fun with it. We'll have fun from 7 to 10. And uh, and then I think you're going to join us one day this week as well. I don't cool. Know. Hey, I, by I the way, push my point that I think that it's more important, important that they get number four right quarterback-wise in April than it is if they get the head coach right here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, push uh, that. And all you got to do is look at the teams in the, that are remaining, and you see how important that quarterback position is. Other than San Fran, and, and Chris Ballard's probably excited about San Fran wanting to do a, and I told you so, and everybody around here. But that that is an anomaly. That's not that's the not really the facts of what the NFL is about. So the, the roster San Fran built is a little different than the one. And my worry is that there are coaching candidates that are going to look at Indianapolis and say that's a franchise that has an unrealistic expectation as to how close they are. That would be my worry. That's yeah, going on forever. <laughs> yeah. You ain't lying. All right, brother. Appreciate it. All right, John. Thanks. Jake Query, The Morning Show. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on The Fan on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Just how big the last three games have been for IU. Is this different? I thought the third game was going to be a pretty good test of that. And you got more of the same of the previous two. Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com goes over that and more with us. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Get on there. Join us at Kiefer. Top of the hour. This is 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. The Ride with JMV. One, is this or is this not the XFL? Yes, it is. Two, do I or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kiefer's going to be here at the top of the hour. Jay Query a moment ago, the podcast 1075thefan.com. Thank you guys for joining us on this Monday. Uh, NFL weekend was big. The divisional round that sets up the conference championship games this coming Sunday. Got that. The Bengals and the Chiefs round two. Outstanding. Niners on the road in Philly to take on the Eagles. You have a Colts coaching search that continues going and going and going. Pacers off tonight. Pacers practice today. Tyrese Halliburton was out there. Not a uh, contact practice, but was at least back out there shooting. And as Larry Bird would say, stuff So they were practicing today. Bulls in town coming up tomorrow night for the Pacers that have dropped seven consecutive. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, the IU team that's won three straight now. And really, it seems like a a change altogether. 
going back to the start of that Wisconsin game as to what we saw in the three games or the two and a half games, if you will, previous to then. And to talk about where this Hoosier team is right now from Peaks.com, Jeff Rabjohn's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So what was it that was said? What was it that was done? You know, obviously, there was a, a players-only meeting prior to that Wisconsin game because this has been a different group, even with the injury since then. What has transpired? Well, I think a couple things. Uh, first of all, the whole players-only meeting thing, I think that's gotten really overblown. Uh, I was talking to Trace about that the other day, yeah. and he's like, he's like, I just texted everybody and said, let's get together. He's like, I don't think it was that big of a thing. And I talked to a couple other players about it. Like, there was no, like, it wasn't really a big, like some coaches say, big come-to-Jesus meeting. And that's all. It was kind of like, okay, we're struggling. Everybody's still on board. Yep, okay, all right, well, let's get our butts back to work. That was more the tone of it. And uh, so it was more of a... Um, a business meeting almost really, you know, the, the business of basketball, but it was more my kind of a big business meeting and everybody realized, you know, yeah, we had, you know, three losses in a row. Uh, and the players felt like, you know, two of them were right there. And certainly the Iowa game was right there for them to take without question. Um, so they kind of looked at it like, well, <clears throat> all right, are we all still on board? Yep. We're all still on board. Okay. All right. Well, let's get back to work then. So that's what happened there. But I think the, the two really big things have happened. One, Trace Jackson Davis got healthy, and he is playing at an unbelievable level. I mean, you know, he and Zach Eadie from Purdue are the only Power 5 guys to average 17 points, nine rebounds, and two block shots per game. You know, Trace is on pace to become the only player in any basketball history, <clears throat> excuse me, with 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds. Uh, you know, he, he now has 40 career double-doubles, 10 career 30-point game, um, and then 38 20-point games. You know, he, he's up there all time in scoring and rebounding and block shots, which is just kind of crazy to think about. So Trace is dominating. And the other thing is, he's doing this while he is the top of the scouting report guy for every opponent. Every team IU plays, job one is to try to stop Trace Jackson Davis, and they still can't do it. He's doing this while you have a guy over there in Tom Izzo who knows a thing or two about defense, who has a big guy in Matty Sissoko who's 6'8", I think they list him at 260. He's every bit of that. <clears throat> and you've got guards who know how to dig, who know how to double, and Trace is still going and getting 30 and 15. So I think that's 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 number one. The Trace is just absolutely dominating, and there's nothing anybody's been able to do about it for three games. Um, and the other thing is, uh, Indiana just tightened up its defense. Um, you know, instead of constantly helping to certain <clears throat> um, spaces like they they, they did – at Penn State, you know, they, they doubled to stop drivers and left three-point shooters open for, for the better part of 40 minutes. And in, in that game, you know, having some understanding of how Woodson likes to play the defense, you know, you go back and you watch that game. I, I counted 12 times, at least 12 times, where guys rotated either too fast or too early. Um, but I also think Woodson kind of – adjusted more to, okay, there are some guys we don't help off of. So Indiana's just playing its defense a whole lot better. Um, so those are the two things I think are the biggest things. Trace Jackson Davis is playing at a crazy level, and Indiana adjusted its defense uh, and, and, is, and is defending the right guys 
each night so much better. It's uh, Jeff Rebjohns of Peaks.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to double back to that Penn State game and then that change that we saw immediately in that game at home against Wisconsin that was, you know, kind of had changed everything. That was the starting point of this three-game win streak. Was that the defense that we saw at State College, was that more about the way it was being coached up or the effort in which that group was playing? Because that was that was kind of a debate we had here because from that point in time, you can tell it looks like they've been coached up. You can tell like they've been motivated and they have motivation in playing D. Prior to that, we wanted to place blame on either the coaching staff or the players for the effort defensively. Which one was it? No, I mean, that was, you know, the whole nail slot rim. Um, if, if you go back and watch the Penn State game, when uh, Penn State is, is starting a dribble drive, the first time they put it down, the first bounce from the wing, Indiana's guards come down to the free throw line to cut off the drive. That's the nail. They're, they're, they were doing what they were taught to do most of the time. Again, I counted 12 times that guys were supposed to rotate back up and didn't. And the slot is obviously, that's the opposite side near the block. Well, what Micah Shrewsbury, Penn State coach, uh, did incredibly well, and he deserves a ton of credit. He looked at that defensive concept and realized you can bait them into helping when you're not really going to drive. You know, there, there were times Miles Dredd uh, started to drive or, or other guys. Um, there, there, was, there was one time Andrew Funk started to drive, and IU doubled Andrew Funk. Andrew Funk has taken four shots at that point in time going into the IU game. Andrew Funk had taken four shots inside the arc all season. There's no reason to double on Andrew Funk. But Shrewsbury kind of like – got the IU defense, he baited them into doubles where there was no reason to double. So, yeah, I mean, I, it was the, the players, for the most part, played nail slot rim the way you're supposed to play it, for the most part. They did make some mistakes. And um, so that was, that was part on the concept and part on the application. It was a little bit of both. But, yeah, that, 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 that's not – you can't play nail slot rim 100% and stay true to every concept when you play a team like Penn State that is trying to get 30-plus threes. They're not trying to get the ball to the rim. And even if they do get the ball to the rim, you know, Andrew Funk drives against Trace Jackson Davis. If you're IU, you've done your job sending a non-driver to your shot blocker, to one of the best shot blockers in the country. Well, there was no reason for all that extra help, you know. I think as, as fans and media, we often say overhelping – Players say, well, it's not overhelping, it's helping to the wrong spot. However you want to phrase it, you know, it doesn't matter. But yeah, that concept, I don't think it works when you play teams that are trying to get 30 plus threes per game. So Jeff Radjohns of Peaks.com is with us after the game. You know, Trace had mentioned, and a lot of people got with me on this, that uh, he doesn't think anybody can guard him. And I want to remind people of this. If he has a bad game, if he has a bad stretch, we know how fans react. If he has a bad stretch, they're going to be on him. So there may be a point in which he's going to have to own that quote. But I, for one, don't mind knowing knowing what confidence does with him and his game on the floor in any moments when he's on the floor. It really is to me kind of like what you see in Miles Turner here. He is at his best when he has supreme confidence. Clearly Trace has that right now. I don't think you can be half-ass in or half-ass out on that. And I don't mind what he said after the game. And again, full well knowing at some point again, he may have a bad stretch and he's going to have to own it. But I didn't mind it. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and I think that thing got tweeted out without 
context a little bit because he was talking about, he was asked about when people play him one-on-one. And I think what he was, I think he was, I was there when he said it. I think he was answering that question. I don't think he was saying no team can guard me. I think he, I think he was saying nobody can guard me one on one. Yeah, and that's what that's what I mean too. And that's uh, people say, oh wait a minute, it's it's you know if you're Trace, you don't want to say that. And I'm thinking, if you're Trace, you do want to say that Uh, because that's what people have been asking for from him: this level of play, and that comes along with that level of bravado. You know, people have always said, I mean, well, he's he's too quiet. He's unassuming. People have, you know, have a, you know, contributed that to being soft, whatever. I like this version. And I think if you're an IU fan, this is the version that you want. Yeah. And, and anybody who thinks Trace Jackson Davis is quiet has not spent a lot of time around Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> you know, he may yell at me for saying that, but whatever. Um, but no. You need you need you need confidence to go out there and be a dominant player at the power five level. You have to be to a degree. You have to be cocky. And I think sometimes fans, they want their their team's players to be cocky, but not act cocky. You know, they, they, they want the Henri on the court, but they want the choir boy in the press conference. And I, I, I don't really care. I, I don't think you have to be that. You know, if, if you want to say something, say it. And sure, you know, if he has a bad game opponents are going to throw that quote back at him. Well, really, I mean, who cares? What's it matter? It doesn't doesn't mean anything. And, you know, for your best player to, you know, walk out on the court, you know, with some ornery to him, with, you know, uh, a bravado, uh, with some, a little bit of arrogance, you know, I'm going to kick your butt. And you need that. And you're not always going to, you know, you're not always going to be the victor at the power five level. But you need to feel it. You need to walk out on the court like me and my guys are going to kick your butt today. And, you know, I have no problem with players saying what they think. I'm with you. I just – in fact, I think it's good. You know, if you feel that way, say well, it. And I, I think for him – for him, I think that's what people – people want to see him play at a high level. I just think that when he's playing with, with confidence on or off the floor, that's better for both he personally and better – for this team moving forward. Tamar Bates is a guy that shot the ball incredibly well yesterday from three. Is that something I I said in a tweet yesterday, if you can bottle that bottle it, it's not something that I would expect to be consistent, but is this maybe been an untapped resource that we could see more prominently the further we go on this season, or was that just a game? I think there's the potential for this to become a more regular occurrence uh, going into the Michigan state game, you know, uh, Bates had played 44 minutes uh, the previous two games and didn't score uh, against, against Michigan state. He goes five for six from three uh, for 17 points. He'd only scored 28 points in the previous five games. So it was definitely way above projected scale, but, you know, having seen tomorrow's game, you know, in high school down there, IMG Academy in Florida, uh, in AAU with KC Run, GMC, and those guys, you know, he does have the ability to go out and get you points in bunches. And I think for Indiana to be what they are right now, and I don't mean ranking or record, I mean how they're playing. Past three games, Indiana's played really good basketball. And the game against Michigan State, I think, is the one that if you replicate it, if you're Indiana and you replicate that, you really give yourself a good chance to to string together a number of wins here and and really, you know, 
do something here at the end of January and in February because Bates is a legit athlete. And if you get that guy averaging, even get him up to 12, 13, 14 points a game, now all of a sudden you've got three scores most nights. That, I think, really raises the ability of Indiana to win more frequently. So Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So a lot of IU fans and Purdue fans as well, for that matter, have circled February the 4th. But up until that point, you got three games for IU. Always tough, no matter what Minnesota team you're talking about. That 9 o'clock start uh, in Minneapolis coming up on Wednesday, Ohio State and then Maryland as well. What do you think about those three games back-to-back-to-back coming up? Uh, Ohio State's the toughest. Maryland's the second toughest. Minnesota, in a way, is oddly scary. They're a bad team, but it's that late-night start in the barn. You get up there to Minnesota. The place is kind of dark. It's a different kind of vibe. And teams occasionally, not just IU, but you've seen it over the years. Everybody's seen it. Teams can sleepwalk the first 10 minutes of the game up there in Minnesota in the barn. So for Indiana, I think the big thing is right now is make sure you're prepared to play real well at Minnesota. Don't all of a sudden have that bad loss. Don't Because right now they have no losses to quad three or quad four teams. So there's no negative drag on their net ranking, which is one of the uh, – you know, criteria for selection and seeding come into tournament time. So you really want to make sure you don't all of a sudden, boom, have a bad loss. Um, I think, I think if they play like they did against Michigan state, I, I think they, I think they beat Minnesota and I think they beat Ohio state at home. Um, obviously Zed Key's a little banged up right now. So if he's not going, you know, that certainly would be something that would play a little toward, toward Indiana's hands. Um, they're going to have to handle Bryce Sensabaugh. You know, somebody's going to have to play outstanding perimeter defense because Sensabaugh is playing at a really He's tough level. He is a tough dude. Yeah, with consistency, and then he he can go to the rim, he can get to the paint, he can get to the free throw line, he can make threes. Um, he's he's really talented. Um, and then I, I think I think you know Maryland on the road. Maryland's playing well. Maryland's really physical. I think that's I think that's going to be tough on the road. Um, but you know, if they go through the next three, if they go two and three. And if they've won five of six going into the Purdue game, I think Indiana's really gotten <clears throat> they've really gotten off the mat as far as their whole season goes. And, you know, the things will be, you know, really different as far as what their NCAA tournament resume looks like going into that Purdue game on February the fourth. I know Race Thompson got back out there yesterday quickly before I let you go. Uh, Xavier Johnson, is there any expectation here, any theories you might have regarding his possible return? I mean, they're still hopeful he's back in late late February. Um, but obviously, that was surgery, so it has to heal. Whereas with race, it was just a, a knee sprain. Um, so race just needed time for everything, you know, for the sprain to kind of like calm down and, and, and him be able to move. But so I would say with Xavier, with Xavier Johnson, I would say I is hopeful. I, I know Xavier keeps tweeting that he's going to be back. He's going to be back. And that's the mindset you want the player to have. But I would say right now with Xavier, I think it's a little more hope than, than, than certainty. But they are hopeful right now that, that, that there's a possibility he comes back in late February. Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com. Next up, his coverage from Minneapolis. That is on Wednesday night. That tip is at 9 o'clock. Downstairs, WIBC. 8 p.m. is when that pregame comes along at you and then you've got a couple of more and uh purdue not too far away down the road as we get into february hey jeff i appreciate you man 
for coming on here, as always. Keep us updated on stuff. Keep us entertained on Twitter, and we'll jump back again here relatively soon to see what this Hoosier team's doing. Sounds good, bud. Always good talking to you. And if you want some very lighthearted entertainment, yes. dude, you got to re- read Joey, Br- Joey Brunk's blog. You and I have both <laughs> talked to Big Joe. You can hear Big Joe's voice when he's telling a couple of <laughs> it is. He had me laugh in the first paragraph. Oh, God. It was yeah, made it with, with uh, you know, and, and, and two that have uh, unfortunately passed. And I think about, you know, Big Joe and think about R. Miller together at Southport watching, oh, you know, Joey yeah. and those teams of Kyle Simpson play. That always puts a smile on my face. It may not put a smile on, like, the referee or coaches' faces, but it puts <laughs> it puts a smile on my face. <laughs> it does. So it was. I when I would go cover those games, it was like halftime. <laughs> I didn't write. I didn't write my thoughts at halftime. I went up and just sat near yeah. R and Big Joe and just listened to them break down the game, tell stories, you know, mock the other team's fans or whatever. They Legendary, they just, yeah, unbelievable. You know, I, I would pay five dollars to go to a Southport game just to hear stories. From Robin Miller and Big Joe. Yeah, it was legendary. No doubt about that. So, yep, yep, Joey. Bye, hey, I, I appreciate that, and we'll get back with you again soon. Thanks, Rap. You betcha, man. Talk to you. It's uh, Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. Quick break. We'll come back. Zach Key for top of the hour. Colts, coaching, search, and more coming at you. Don't leave. The Ride with JMV. If you leave now, you'll take away the biggest part of me. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, if you guys are asking, probably a little bit of time for calls. Some point in the 5 o'clock hour. At trackside tonight, 8 o'clock. Inside IU Hoopage. 7.05. Now, honestly, I know inside the lounge, I don't. I, I try to keep the conversation separate other when... Uh, What's his nuts calls in here from the uh, the lounge? Sean Rogers. Uh, then we kind of come together with that, but I kind of keep the conversation separate because there is a completely different conversation going on in the YouTube live lounge, and I like that completely different conversation. It's about the same stuff, but the the tone and the word usage is different. Not bad, but different. But there's a dude named Eddie that's mad because I was talking to Jeff about IU and not enough about Purdue. And I want to remind everybody out there that Matt Painter comes on with me twice a month. Whenever we want, but twice a month. And I haven't had an IU basketball coach on this show in five years. Five years. And that's not my fault. Five years. And I think I've had one, I think Trace was on a couple of different times over his time in Bloomington and that's it. So yeah. We'll merge lanes just for a second, but I just want to remind folks that this IU and Purdue argument, yeah, it doesn't hold water with me, so don't do it. Don't do it. Now we could text Painter right now and come on. If I text IU right now, I don't I'd get somebody in next year probably, which is fine, but that's the way that it is. So none of this, too much about this and too much about that crap. Thank you. And then just act accordingly in there. Here's what I want you to do. What's his name, Eric? Eric, follow the lead of Peaches. Follow the lead of Peaches. Because not only is is Peaches is like the, the conscience of the lounge, 
the Ride with JMV YouTube Live Lounge. He's the conscious in there, but it was also the name of a stripper that it was um, out uh, at that Vegas strip club back in the day. Nineteen Peaches, nineteen ninety three, I believe. Peaches when I was in Vegas. Peaches. It's a really good name. So well done. Follow the lead of Peaches inside the lounge via YouTube Live, and you will not go wrong. Your top three, maybe your top five. Where's Jeff Saturday in the mix? Zach Kiefer and more will explain. Other side next. Don't go anywhere. The Ride with JMV. What did you say? I said we need a water break. You need a water break. Water is for cowards. Water makes you weak. Water is for washing blood off that uniform, and you don't get no blood on my uniform. Boy, you must be outside your mind. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Shout out to our friends from Royal Pen. Sometime this hour, I'm going to give you the opportunity to win a two-hour bowling pass for up to six people. That's a party. Actually, I need that right now. Can I just give this to myself? What are the rules here, Eddie? Can I just go ahead? Eddie, if I give away something, can I just go ahead and give it to myself? I mean, instead? you've got some birthdays I think I'm to celebrate, go ahead and, don't you? Yeah, I'm going to make myself the winner. <laughs> hey, I'm caller 9 at 239-1070. I'm the winner. So a two-hour bowling pass up to six people. That's a $90 value. And a week pass for the U.S. Open bowling tournament. That's a $100 value. So put that, if I do my math accurately, that would be a $190 value. Hey, listen, love bowling. Not right now. Dang it. What are they doing? Not right now. If it were right now, I would make me the winner. Not right now. When I give you the cue to call at 239-1070. I don't blame you. I don't blame your excitement right here. You got a bit of a bowling arousal, but go ahead, soften that up just a little bit. I'll give you a chance to win this coming up a little bit later on in the hour if I don't give it to myself first. So uh, shout out to Royal Pin for that, too. I got to think, yeah, Blake's got, Blake wants to go, I think, to back nine or something like that coming up here. Royal pin would be good. I'm telling you, Eddie. I think you may need to make me a winner coming up here. Someone needs to tell Laney to call in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Have you ever heard she and her friends will call in on Saturday night occasionally and it's classic. Oh yeah. Classic. Oh, my bestie Crosby, Crosby Phillips, who's a friend of Laney's classmate of Laney's and a teammate of Laney's calls in every single Saturday. Uh, Crosby or her sister Palmer or her other sister Sloan. Every single, I think she called in. She and her mom called in. This is awesome, too. They called in on Saturday night. She requested NSYNC. It was the best of the 90s. NSYNC, tearing up my heart. And her mom with the classic House of Pain jump around request. But my bestie. Crosby calls in. That's, again, a friend of Laney's down at CG every single Saturday night. I love it. And when Laney calls in, she goes, talks like that. (laughs) Pretty good, though. But anyway, Royal Pin passes for you. Coming up later on this hour, if, again, I don't give it 
to myself. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from The Athletic. He is Zach Kiefer. All right, if this thing right now, in your opinion, had to be trimmed down to three in this coaching search for the Colts, who would be the three, in your opinion? Dang, man, put me on the spot from the jump. Come on now. Come on now. You got to bring it. You got to yeah, bring it. it. All right. And I'll, I'll, I'll I'll I tell you what, I, and I know we all have to own this stuff because we all end up on Twitter and social media, Zach. I said this earlier. We all end up being huge hypocrites. It's just the way that it is. There's no way around it for what you say. Uh, you're just ultimately going to be a hypocrite in some form or fashion. So know that we'll probably have to own being wrong about this. So give me three. Yeah, I'll be honest, man. I've been digging on this, and it's been difficult to get any substance in terms of where this is going. Um, I'll play along just for fun. I'll go with Raheem Morris. I know that his first interview went really well. That's that's what I'm going on based on that. I'm going with Shane Steichen simply because what he has done with that offense in Philly this year is is, is just so much to like, and this team needs to find a way to fix their broken offense and cultivate a really good system around a young quarterback. And then I'm going to Miko Ryans because if you think about who's making this call, at least initially, it's Chris Ballard. And Ryans is coordinating a defense right now that Ballard has always wanted to build here. And now he's built some pretty good defenses. This year was okay. Um, certainly not the reason they, they only won four games, but that 49ers defense is absolutely a monster. I love watching them. So I think Ryan deserves a shot. I think Steichen's an interesting offensive guy. I could go Brian Callahan with what he's done. But I think Zach Taylor has a big role in that in Cincinnati. So my three are Steichen, Ryans, and Raheem Morris. All right. Where's my guy Dan Quinn? They need older. They need crusty. They need been there, done that, regardless of him being a a very good defensive coordinator and maybe it all being with a success offensively on the shoulders of Kyle Shanahan back in the day at Atlanta, it matters not. I think this team that has been disjointed as a team, apparently, unconnected as a team, they need somebody like Dan Quinn. Thus, I would put Dan Quinn in that particular, don't laugh, threesome right here. Why not Dan Quinn in your estimation? No, I hear you, man. There's there's nothing against him, and his star did not dim at all in this playoff run. He is not the reason that Dallas didn't get it done yesterday. I think everybody watching the game knows it was on the other side of the ball, and the quarterback struggled, and that's the reality. I don't know how Dan Quinn's interview went, but I imagine he was very impressive. Now, he's the, he's the only other former head coach that's in this group, right? Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn, and I'm not. No, I'm not putting Jeff Saturday in that category because he's never built it up from the very beginning of a season. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see Dan Quinn. I wonder how he interviewed. I know he was very selective last year and then eventually dropped out. So the fact that he sat down with the Colts on Friday night via Zoom is pretty telling that there's some interest there. But I wonder, I wonder about these veteran coaches who know a lot of people around the league how tepid, how hesitant they might be to walk into a situation where the owners had his fingertips on things the last couple of years. Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So do you feel the same way about the proposition of Jeff Saturday maintaining that gig as you might have toward the end of the season or any other time since right now? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest with you. My stance hasn't changed on this. Like, I know there's some reports out there and, like, all that, but, like, here's here's what I'm saying. Everything I know about what Chris Ballard is thinking right now, I don't think, I do not believe that he will be 
the recommendation at the end of this. What I'm saying is I don't think Chris Ballard will be recommending Jim Irsay at the end of this search. I don't even think he'll be in his final three. That's my gut. That's my guess. Again, this is not a report, but that's everything that I know about Chris Ballard and everything we heard from him last week and every conversation I've had over the last week with people around the search tells me that Jeff Saturday is not going to be Chris Ballard's pick. So then you move into the situation where Jim Mercer trumps his GM again. And you just mentioned this, JMV. What, is, what does this team need? They, need? they need a new direction. They need some veteran ability from a coaching perspective to come in and earn the respect of the locker room, that these guys are going to buy into the coach, getting the best out of them individually and the best as a team. And, and if, you, if you usurp your GM again, if the top two decision makers for this franchise can't agree on the head coach, that coach is going to be doomed to fail from the start. This, this town knows that, right? When's the last time the coach and the GM weren't on the same page? That's when they had a quarterback in this town, and it got so bad that Ursay sent him to freaking counseling, right? Like, that really happened. So I just think that's a terrible way to go about the business, and I know Jim Ursay is a wild card right now, and I'm not ruling anything out, but I just can't see Ursay stepping on Ballard again and saying no I'm going to force you to work with this coach who you didn't pick in the first place and didn't pick again. That's just bad ball. And then that's just really setting things up to fail, not just for the team, but whoever this new quarterback that comes in is. So let's just say there's a final five or a final three. Let's keep it at three here that Chris Ballard presents through all this excruciating and time-consuming evaluation. And Jeff Saturday is not a part of it. Does that piss off Jim Irsay? Well, you're hiring your GM to do his job, and you got to let him do his job. Yeah, but I, I mean, think, you, you you know who we're talking about here. Right, Seriously, just the right. situation itself. Because he had a GM, and he had a job to do, and he didn't want to make that hire on an interim basis. Uh, and the owner did, and the owner did. I'm just I'm curious what might be. So you think Jim would be cool with what was his guy, his outside-the-box thinking guy, a guy that he trusted, and chastise the media after they beat the Raiders in that initial game. You, right. you think that he would be cool with the recommendation coming back of three coaches without Jeff Saturday's name being on it? You know what? This might be a surprise, but I do. I do think Ursay would be cool with that. This is me guessing, right? This is not me. Sure, I understand. This is not from a, a talk with Jim Ursay, but I, I think Ursay wants to get this ship righted. I really do, and and I have a story coming out tomorrow that sort of lays out how this process has worked in the past and how I expect it to work for the most part this time. Ballard leads the search. Ballard brings a candidate to Ursay. Ursay wasn't involved in the last coaching search until he flew out to Foxborough to meet with McDaniels and McDaniels' wife, and they had dinner. And the dinner went well because there was a handshake agreement at the end of that dinner. So, you know, Ballard's job, and I think this is the important part here, by letting Ballard run the search, I think in a way, in a way, at least for now, Ursay is handing the keys back to his GM and, and entrusting him to fix this franchise. I do believe that to a degree. Now, again, I have to, I have to add this in every time I say this because I can't predict what he's going to do. I can't predict what Jim Ursay is going to do. But, but going against that ruling, going against that recommendation, it just creates further dysfunction. And for a team that's been in dysfunction for the – at least the last five months, and let's, let's, let's call it what it is, the last couple of years have been crazy around here. That's just creating more of it unnecessarily. So I think at the end of the day, the boss needs to listen to the guy he hired to do this job. 
It's Zach Kiefer of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What's more important, what they do at quarterback in April, presumably, or who they handpick as the next head coach? I'm going quarterback because let's say they get this right. The quarterback's going to be here 10 years, maybe 12, you know. The coach, coaches don't usually stick around for that long. Maybe you get the coach right, maybe you don't. Um, but it's really, really important you get the coach right for a lot of reasons. You've got to cultivate that quarterback in a way that you can't set him up to fail. So many teams have done that. But if you miss on the quarterback, you don't have a chance. You just don't have a chance because you're going to have to play him. And if he's not good, you're going to have to reset and go get another one in a couple of years. And so the coach is really important, but the quarterback is more important. Yeah, I'd agree that. What do you think they're looking at quarterback-wise? Man, I'm still stuck on the coaching search. I, I am going to go down to the Pro Day at Ohio State in March. I'm going to go to the Pro Day at Kentucky a couple of days later to see these guys up in person. But, you know, and I haven't studied the tape closely because I've been swamped with the coaching search, but doesn't C.J. Stroud sound like a lot of fun? Like, I know he's not a finished product, and I know there's a little bit of growing he's got to do, but I think a big mobile quarterback like him that probably needs to get a little bit better with his accuracy down the field, I think he could be a lot of fun. So do you, uh, let's just say, and again, there's a lot of assuming here, um, hypotheticals. You can't get past it because we don't know a lot. And I've said the same thing about Stroud. And I've really based my opinion on that national semifinal game against Georgia, yeah. where he he moved around. He looked like an NFL level, high quality, could be elite level quarterback in that game. And I, I hear a lot of, well, you know, Ohio State they don't put out, you know, high level quarterbacks, whatever. I I just I went by that game. Now I also I'm unfair with Will Levis because when I watched him play, he sucked. So I don't know if that's more about him, the team he's playing, his Kentucky team not being any good, whatever. So I, I probably unfairly basing my opinion regarding both of these. But let's just say, for example, that they want Stroud or they want one of the top two quarterbacks. Do they have what it takes? Will they have what it takes to execute to try to get up? to what is necessary to get one of these guys? Again, presuming that's where they're going to be in April at the top of this draft. Yeah, they do. You know why? Because the owner will tell them to find what it takes to go get this guy. And by that, I mean capital and future draft picks, whatever it takes. Ursay's done with this rent-to-QB cycle. He's tired of it. He was tired of it after Phillip Rivers because he didn't want to trade for Wentz and he wanted to draft one of their own. So they're done with that. I mean, and that doesn't mean they're not going to sign some guy in the offseason just to be a bridge quarterback, but that's not going to be a permanent solution. So with regards to Will Levis, like how much did it, did a, did a underachieving team in a bad year, how much does that tell you? That's sort of the art of it, right? The nuance of it. And that's going to be the fun part of the scouting process because the interviews and stuff like that's going to be so important because you're, hypothetically drafting the franchise quarterback for the next 10 years with Strout, man, I'm right with you. Like I walked away from the Michigan game being like, ah, he didn't look very good. I wouldn't take a flyer on him. And then he saved his best game of the year against the best defense and the best team in the country. And they should have won that game as everybody watching that game saw. So, you know, I don't care as much about the past with Ohio state and how their quarterbacks haven't become superstars in the league. All I care about is this one particular prospect and, and I'll dig into him a lot more as, as the months progress, as we get closer to the draft. But, man, the way he played against Georgia, that'll win on Sundays.
Well, and again, you can also look at it as, well, look who he's throwing to. I mean, there's not a lot of teams out there that have at at their disposal the type of wide receiving weapons that they do with Marvin Harrison Jr. to start with at Ohio State. And and I, I consider that as well. But just the small sample size that we have right now, that's definitely who I like. So would you expect, Zach, would you expect the Colts to be a major trade-up player coming up here in the offseason? Well, you got to look at who's up there, right? I mean, I really only think there's one team that's going to be taking a quarterback ahead of them. Like, right? Like, do they need to? Like, if we know one thing about the GM, he's not going to make a move unless he feels like he needs to. And and this is an interesting pers- perspective from Dane Brugler, who runs our scouting for the Athletic. Like, he had them moving up to take to take Bryce Young number one. Now, Bryce Young is everything you want in a lot of ways, but there's the size factor. He's, what, barely six feet? And that's a real thing, and that's not where the league is going. And you see these quarterbacks that are a little bit smaller that have been hurt, like Lamar Jackson didn't finish the season healthy. Kyler Murray didn't finish the season healthy. And the other thing in this is traits, and Ballard always goes for traits. He loves the stuff you can't teach, the size, the speed, the athleticism, like the stuff that that jumps out in the testing phase. Now, this is a little bit different because this is a quarterback. Would Ballard go against that norm that he's pretty much lived by since he became the GM to draft the most important position on the field. Brugler thinks he would. He thinks there's that much of a separation between Bryce Young and Levis and Stroud. We'll see. There's a lot more to come in terms of the scouting over the next couple of months with these guys. But if there's not much of a difference between Young and Stroud, and this is just me guessing, if there's not, you just stay at four. And you probably take the gamble that Stroud is probably still on the board. But again, does another team climb ahead of you? climb ahead of you at four I think that's real and and if there's one wild card in this it's the owner in the back of the room saying don't take any chances get up to number one let's get our guy and let's move on yeah and again you don't know I mean maybe this thing drastically turns around as to who believes going to go where as quarterbacks I mean I guess sitting here right now maybe maybe if, if you like Levis if they did maybe he you know, falls to you at four anyway, and you don't have to give up anything for it. But that is just so much to, so much to understand and get to where we hit that time. It really is like throwing darts right now at it. Yeah, and, and one thing I want to add about Levis is a former Colts assistant coach named Brad White, who ran the linebackers here for a couple of years, is now the defensive coordinator at Kentucky. So he's had an up close and personal view at Levis the last what two years. Right, And I think Ballard and him are still close. I think Ballard helped him get that job when the Colts had their coaching staff turnover in 2018 when Frank Wright came in. So they're going to have a guy who's had eyes and ears on this kid at the college level. And if they like Levis, there's no doubt in my mind that that's because Brad White gave him a really strong recommendation. If they don't, it's possible that White was like, eh, he wasn't that good this last year. Now, I'm just spitballing here, but that's not something to overlook. This is a guy where if you're a scout, you ask everybody around that program what you know about this guy, and they have a guy who's a very familiar face um, down there in Kentucky and Brad White. So, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Colts coaching search. you think they add anybody else to the list here between now and whenever they make the decision? Gosh, I hope not, man. I mean, it's already at 14, and, no. and I got a story tomorrow. That's, that's more than any team's interviewed in the last four years, in at least the last four years. 
So when they were saying that they're going to cast a wide net, they weren't kidding. And, and it's not that uncommon for teams to interview 10 or 11 or 12 guys. The Jaguars interviewed 12 last year before hiring Doug Peterson. But at this point, you haven't even started your second round of interviews. And they can't interview any coach that's still coaching in the playoffs this week. So if you want to sit down with Steichen or Callahan or Bienemy or D'Amico Ryan for the first time, that can't happen until next Monday. So anything with you and, and my perfect candidate, if he would have been a candidate, was Jim Harbaugh. And clearly he's not, and evidently he has not been. What was To me, Rick Venturi uses this, this word all the time, malpractice. To me it would be malpractice if the Colts on some level did not have interest and did not, at the very least, reach out in some form or fashion. Did they, and was this all Jim Harbaugh saying, hey, look, in Indy, that's not me right now. Um, I may take an interview with Carolina or the Broncos, but uh, I'm just staying in Ann Arbor. Was there no interest whatsoever from the Harbaugh side in Indy? I'm not so sure about that. Again, it's a little dangerous. I'm speculating a little bit, but I wouldn't I wouldn't box it in that clearly. I, I do think Harbaugh had some NFL interest. Obviously, he doesn't sit down with the Broncos over a virtual meeting unless he does. Um what I know is I, I just don't think he was on Ballard's list. I don't think he was on Ballard's list. Now, was he on the owner's list? A lot of people think he was. A lot of people think he was. I can't say for sure because that is something only Jim Mercer knows. But I, I just don't think Jim Harbaugh was on Ballard's list. I don't think the building wanted Jim Harbaugh maybe as much as Jim Mercer did. Again, this is speculation. Um, but the fact that they're interviewing 14 guys and not one of them is the former quarterback who's done nothing but leave college and the pros, who's in the ring of honor. That's very telling to me. All right. I and again, you, this is there's a lot of a lot of rumorous stuff here, right? Um, so I, 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 I had heard that that maybe Harbaugh didn't have a certain level of interest because of Ballard still being here. And people are going to say, well, that's because you thought Ballard should be gone after year number six, and that this has nothing to do with it. I, that's what I'd heard. That was kind of a rumor floating around. A, did you hear that? And B, do you think there might be any level of truth to one of the reasons why maybe Harbaugh would have been turned off and not had a level of interest here? Yeah, I didn't hear that. Not not in, at least in a way that made me feel like it was substantiated. Um, how does that even work? Because let's go based on what we know. We know that Ballard's going to be here for a year seven. Whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. He's going to be here, and he's going to have a say in this coaching search. And I just – it's honestly, it's hard for me to see a world in where they both work together. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but, right, I mean, it's pretty clear that, that, that Jim Harbaugh – at least it's one of the reasons he it led to his ouster in San Francisco, where all he did was win was, was the fact that he wanted more personnel control. He wants to say, and a lot of coaches do. And, and I just don't know how that would have worked here. No coach who has been under Ballard here has had that much personnel say. Um, but again, I'm kind of just throwing stuff out there because I, I just, I just didn't think, I didn't think he was on Ballard's list and I don't think it went any further than that. What would you rather? Okay, this is a good one. You're really going to get mad at me about this. Is it okay if I ask it anyway? Bring it on. <laughs> would you rather have Harbaugh as the coach for the future or Ballard as the general manager for the future? Oh, that's a good one. Um, 
You know, man, like a month ago, I was right there with you on Harbaugh. Now, it's not going to happen, obviously, but I just really think he would have been a really good hire for a lot of reasons. And if that meant Ballard is out, that's what the team probably had to do. I mean, you've had six years to fix this franchise, and they're they're in as bad of a spot right now as they've been at any other point in his tenure. So I just think – and, and again, you can find a little bit of Harbaugh maybe in a Dan Quinn. Maybe you can find a little bit of him in a Raheem Morris. I'm not sure. No one knows the future. But I just think a guy that comes in with that track record, who's won everywhere he's been, and who would really shore up things probably on the offensive line in the run game and with a young quarterback. He's worked with a lot of great quarterbacks. I mean, he took Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. Um, There's a lot to like about what he could bring. But then again, I've never worked with Jim Harbaugh. I don't know what he's like behind the scenes. Oh, I'm sure there's a shelf life. I'm sure there's a shelf life. But normally on that yeah. shelf, there are some pretty good times when he's leading it. So would would, would the fan base trade a, shelf, a short shelf life for a couple, you know, <laughs> at the very least, appearances in the <laughs> AFC title game? Probably. Sure as hell they would. Probably. I um I I will be very disappointed if I ever get anything concrete of that being the case. And one path, one path was broken because another path continued. So that that um, that bugged me a little bit right there. It would. So yeah, but I will say this for Ursay: after everything that's happened over the last twelve months, if you want to find a way forward, and if you're going to stick with Ballard, and we can debate that to the end of the year, it doesn't matter. He's going to come back. If you're going to stick with Ballard, then you got to let Ballard run the team. If you're gonna if you're gonna make him hire a new coach, if you're gonna let him do this, then you gotta let him hire a coach that he can work with and that he believes that can get it done. I just feel like you can't force another coach on him because that's just destined to fail. Whether it's Jeff Saturday or somebody else, that's not gonna work. So based on what we know, I think you step back and you let your GM hire the next coach. If it doesn't work, then then the GM's out, right? You don't get to hire four coaches. But I just feel like that's the only way this has a chance of working is if the owner steps out and allows this GM to do his job. Hey, Zach, final thing in closing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What do you think Jim Irsay has thought about Jeff Saturday as the interim coach? I mean, you ever think about yeah. ever any intel on what might have been his true feelings regarding the guy that he went outside the box with and brought in and then the rest of the season, the way that that thing went and especially down the drain there, what he felt about Jeff Saturday and his time as the interim coach? You know, that's a good question. I talked to Ursay, I want to say, in early December, and that was before things really went off the rails, right? I think it was before the Dallas game. So they'd been, I don't know, fairly competitive, if that's the right word, to that point. They always beat the, almost beat the Eagles. And he was selling them, man. Like, you know, Jim Irsay loves to sell. He loves to sell hope. He was saying he's an outstanding candidate. He's going to have a shot for the full-time job. The other thing that's true is Jim Irsay is not an idiot. Like, he knows how this team played down the stretch, and he knows how they collapsed, and he knows what happened in Dallas and Minnesota and against Houston, for God's sakes, in Week 18. So he saw that, and he felt that. But I think a big part of this is, is like, he wants a guy who's going to come in and change the culture and, and keep these guys accountable. I know we're tired of hearing that phrase, but – he likes a lot of that in Jeff Saturday. Now, there's other candidates that sure, sure are going to do that as well. So that's the thing. But can, can, he, really, can he really sell that? Like, what's the city going to do if it, if, it, if it comes out that Jeff Saturday is the head coach full time? Like, and the other thing, John, that I'm going to yeah. mention, and this is going to sound crazy, he pays attention to social media. 
He does. He reads it. it. It's happened twice before. The Chuck Stay thing at the end of the 15th season, he gave him a contract extension not the next day. I'm not saying it's because of social media, but he's at least aware of it. The second time is a couple years ago when T.Y. was in that pretty staunch uh, contract negotiation. Jim Mercer stepped in and got that deal over the finish line. I'm not saying Saturday keeps the job, but I'm saying at the very least, Ursay is aware that his fan base is firmly, for the most part, firmly against keeping Jeff Saturday on. I wondered. I was going to ask you that about, because it has to have been like a hit over the head with consistency of fans. And we're talking Colts fans that probably love Jeff Saturday, love Jeff Saturday as a player that have been staunchly against him and his return. And I, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that Jim Irsay via social media has probably you know, soaked a lot of that negativity from the fan base regarding his higher up. I mean, every time he logs in, right? I mean, I, I see the tweets that are sent his way. And, and the other thing is, like, my theory is that he thought this Saturday hire originally in November was going to go over so well. He thought people were going to love it, that he brought back somebody from the glory days and this fan favorite who was going to change everything and save the season. And it didn't happen. And now the reality is you, you just can't sell that again. And I, I, again, I just don't think, I just don't think it's good ball to overstep your GM a second time. And I think the, the future of the franchise would be it, this could be a catastrophic move. I really believe that if they stick with Jeff Saturday. All right. I got one more. I apologize. Zach Kiefer was with final thing right here all right so do you think chris ballard would still be here if big decisions did not be need to be made for the next head coach and the hopeful long-term quarterback or was it all jim ursay's trust belief and confidence in ballard that's a really good question that's a really good point i i i think you're on to something I think you look at this franchise that's absolutely in transition right now, facing two of the biggest decisions it's going to have over the next decade, right? Certainly with the quarterback. And then secondly, with the coach, right? So the quarterback, what Ursay told me, which was really telling was, and these are, this is a direct quote. Chris has that magic touch in the draft room. I think anybody out there now Ballas had some misses for sure, but he's drafted pretty well. He's drafted pretty well. The one outlier, Being he hasn't had the stones to take a quarterback yet. And you got to do that. You can't keep sitting on the sideline. But the reality is, Ursay believes in Ballard's ability to draft and construct a roster. Ursay stepped in only when it comes to the head coach and the quarterback. And I think that's where he's gotten, well, at least made things a little bit messier. So he believes in him to draft a team. Does he believe in him to to hire a coach? We're going to find out in the next couple weeks because that's going to be really telling. But I do believe. He believes in Ballard and his staff to draft the next quarterback, and I think that's a factor in this as well. He didn't want to have to go hire a new GM, not know his his chops when it comes to drafting, and then let that guy decide the decision that's going to shape the franchise for the next decade. Yeah, to me, I think that played a significant role. Listen, does he still trust Chris Ballard? I, I don't think there's any question that he does. Certainly a hell of a lot more than I do, but he does, and maybe it's misguided. I believe that it is, but maybe maybe it isn't. Whatever. But I, I think had it not been for those three major categories right there, that there would not be so much trust 
in the past six years and what has been that of uh, Chris Ballard being here. That's just me. Uh, that's an opinion I have. But I think that Chris Ballard still looms large in this decision-making process because of those two major decisions, Zach, that need to be made. Yeah, and it's amazing how quickly things could yep. change if if they get the right quarterback, right? And I'm not saying they're going to the playoffs next year, but everything can change. Optimism, belief, whether you can get free agents to come here. Like, it's amazing how quickly that can change if you get the right guy at the right position on a rookie deal. Now, you got to hit. Like, just because they draft one doesn't mean he's going to be the guy. But I think that that can change. And if there's anything I know about Jim Irsay, he believes, man. He believes. So he believes they're going to get the right guy at quarterback, but we're going to have to find out if they do. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic is here. What you writing about? <laughs> Take a guess, man. I'm writing about 14 different coaches. You know what? You what? Who's going to be the third tight end coming up in 2023? Is that it? Man, I haven't even looked at the roster, man. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I honestly, man, I don't think there's a hire until February. I'm, I'm just guessing, but it just doesn't seem like they're moving that quickly. They're going to have to make a, a list of finalists, whether it's three or four or five or six, and then they're going to have to bring those guys in again. And remember, those will be – at least a couple of them will be in person, and that matters a lot. Some guys are much better in person than they are on Zoom. That's the stage we're getting into this week. And, and again, they have to wait on D'Amico Ryan if they want to bring him in for an interview, and I absolutely would. So, Zach Key for The Athletic. I appreciate you, man, more than you know. Have a great week. Thanks, man. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. A lot of stuff right there. We'll chew on that coming up on the other side. And somebody's going to go to Royal Pin on me if I don't take it myself. I'll remind you what you can win before the top of the hour coming up on the other side with our friends from Royal Pin. 93.5107 by The Fan. The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jay Query, Jeff Rabjohns, and Zach Kiefer. That is the podcast, 107.5thefan.com. Eddie, I tell you what, if I don't get a hold of Dusty May, maybe you ought to send a shout down to uh, Florida Atlantic. <laughs> I got to get Dusty on here to talk about what he is doing with that team. The first time in the top 25 was last week. Another two-win week for the Owls of Dusty May down at Florida Atlantic and Boca Raton, Florida, which is not bad. And uh, 21st ranked the Owls of Florida Atlantic this week. Dusty May, by the way, is a friend of mine. Dusty May went to the same high school. The greatness that is Eastern Green in Green County was an IU manager and has spent time on a bunch of different benches, whether we're talking about, I think the first thing he did was at USC. I think he was the video coordinator at USC, and he might have been the video coordinator of USC when IU, I take that back, when IU could have played them back when they went to the championship game and lost to Maryland. I believe it was that that first round game where USC, remember they had guys like Sam Clancy and Jeff Trapanier? Uh, you probably don't know too much about it, but back in the day, those were pretty big collegiate names, USC, talented, athletic. And I want to say, without looking right now, that they lost to 
UNC Wilmington, and that's who IU matched up with in that next round. And UNC Wilmington had a sharpshooter named Brett Blizzard. Oh, you think I'm making that up, and that's not something you can get at Dairy Queen. The Brett Blizzard. I think it was the video coordinator. Was Henry Bibby the head coach then? Lord, I'm dating myself on that. But he has been on a lot of different benches, certainly most recently on the bench with Mike White down at Florida for the Gators. Got his own gig at Florida Atlantic and Conference USA and is doing just an outstanding job. So a little bit of Eastern Green Thunderbird love I got to get later on this week to Dusty May and the job that he is doing this season down at Florida Atlantic for sure. All right, Royal Pin giveaway. Not just yet. Not just yet. Two-hour bowling pass. Up to six people. A week pass for the U.S. Open as well. Listen, I need this. This sounds like a Blake birthday party right here. I'm going to give that away coming up in just a couple of minutes. Eddie. And then I want to tease on Thursday, you'll be doing two giveaways. Two giveaways on Thursday. The second giveaway will be an opportunity to bowl with the pros on Sunday. Really? Yeah. That's awesome right there. When's the last time you bowled? Oh, I'd say about a month ago. Do you um, you put spin on it? Uh, or do no. you do straight line fever? I'm straight line. Yeah. I follow the uh, I follow the arrows on oh, the boards. Yeah. I follow the arrows on the boards, but I'm straight line fever too. I don't put any spin on it. What pound ball do you use? Um, thirteen. See, here's what's funny. I use a lighter ball, but I always loved it because you do the shoe rental, and your shoe size is on the outside, the heel of the back of your shoes. And you guys are going to laugh at me for this, but um, I always used to get like 13s and 14s, so people go, wow, that guy's got huge feet. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that guy with those huge feet over there, because yeah, clearly what I was trying to do was, was be more enticing in a pickup situation at a bowling alley. Big Man, socks. Look at that guy's got size 14 feet. What? <laughs> Big size. Give, give me the size 14s. Uh, what, really? The 14s? Yeah, the 14. I need a 14. Did you stuff uh, so your socks like at the ten, end? I'd use like a 10 and a half pound ball in size 14 shoes. Did you stuff some socks at the end <laughs> so it could fit? Walk around like I had like uh, <laughs> scuba gear on or something. <laughs> I love it, though. So, no, that's later on this week, but we got. Uh, a bowling opportunity at Royal Pin for you, too. The U.S. Open, U.S. Open bowling is an absolute blast. Absolute blast. So we'll do that coming up here before the end of the show. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll finish off the show with you. Guest list tomorrow and then coming up on Friday. This is going to be a can't miss. We're going to combine our Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots for the conference title games. With our first Tavern Tour stop of 2023. And this, this is a legendary establishment. If you missed the announcement and missed me talking about it last week, where you have to be with us coming up in Broad Ripple on Friday. That's next. 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of 
Damn nerds. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, let's do this right now. Number nine at 239-1070. Got a great Royal Pin prize package for you. Love to see you be able to go. And uh, thanks to my friends, too. Travis putting this together, Trisha putting this together down the hall. I love the Bowling U.S. Open. Number nine at 239-1070 is going to be able not only to bowl for a couple of hours on us, but also go to the U.S. Open. Somebody later on this week may end up actually being able to bowl with the U.S. Open bowlers. Does Pete Weber retire, right? Remember 2012 and Pete Weber? (laughs) You know, if you remember in 2012 with Pete Weber, who do you think you are, I am? We had him on the day after. He was outstanding. (laughs) Love Pete Weber. PW was awesome. But this is more than just that, too. This is going to give you the opportunity to actually go. I think you and six of your friends be able to go. That's pretty awesome. $90 value, two-hour bowling pass, and then a week-long pass to the U.S. Open. Yeah, number nine at 239-1070 will go. And we got more of these later on this week. And again, your opportunity. Anybody two-hand bowl? I know we get a lot of bowlers out there. Anybody on Twitter? Any of you a two-hand bowler? I think bowling's outstanding. And by the way, the U.S. Open is at Woodland Bowl, in case you were wondering. But uh, shout-out to Royal Pin for doing that and everybody putting that together. That is going to be an absolute blast. And at the very least, you and uh, the fam, you and the fam and some friends can get together for a couple of hours, use those passes, have a great time, courtesy of us. And then a week-long pass for the U.S. Open. So we'll do that today, and we'll do that for the rest of the week with you as well. Well done, everybody. Great Monday show, especially from your standpoint. Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. And if you're listening and you want to know what that is, it is a variation of the show. You get to watch and listen, but you also participate. And the conversation is oftentimes different than the one we're actually having on the air. It is a good time. So if you're ever thinking about it, Inside the Lounge... YouTube Live, The Ride with JMV, search that either before or at the beginning or whenever during every show, and you can watch, listen, and participate there. Jake Query, Jeff Rabjohn, Zach Kiefer, Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Thank you, Eddie Garrison. Great job by Eddie Garrison once again. He'll be back with us coming up on tomorrow's show. Let's all get back here at 3 o'clock coming up tomorrow. Remember, trackside at 8, inside IU Hoop 705. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Maybe we'll talk a little bit of snow tomorrow, too.